0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking about neurodivergent um, conditions and the creative process. Uh, We had had a question about it earlier in the year, or maybe last year, about neurodivergence um, and uh, what it means to be a creative person and also be neurodivergent. And one thing that I think a lot of people don't... um, recognizes that neurodivergent isn't just people who have autism and it isn't just people who have ADHD although those two conditions the 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 autism spectrum is neurodivergence Um, ADHD is included in that list um, as well Um, there are a couple there there are some other ones this is not an inclusive list Uh, dyslexia is considered neurodivergence there's other things like Tourette's, dyspraxia. I can't say that word. Dyscalculia, Down syndrome, epilepsy, chronic mental illnesses such as bipolar, OCD, borderline personality, anxiety,
1: and depression. The word she did didn't have... say was synesthesia. And synesthesia. Uh, I would also synesthesia. I would also add cerebral palsy to um, the list. Yeah, it's typically, yeah absolutely. It was t- typically this, this p- particular list we looked at earlier, um, uh, doesn't have it, but I've, a lot of the neurodivergent sites about neurodivergence and neurodiversity do talk about cerebral palsy and, and how it, it's, it is definitely in it, it. It kind of is its own little, it's its own little microcosm in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, neuro- neurodivergent space, much like ADHD is, like all of them are. They have their own issues and challenges and that kind of thing. Um, so, but cerebral palsy should, should also. And there's a lot of any. I think any disorder that affects the brain, um, any condition that affects the brain, um, would probably, uh, would probably, want, you know, be on the list of, of uh, neurodivergent.
0: Wow, my laptop's getting hot. <laughs> is it on your lap? It's not a good. That's not a good situation.
1: Um neurodivergent. not going to go sterile. Um,
0: <laughs> you, you might burn your leg.
1: Uh, I, I've got a lap desk. I'm good.
0: Accepting um, that I uh, was neurodivergent was um, kind of like a, a moment for me. Because I do have obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I do have dyscalculia. I am, uh, I've suffered from clinical depression since my 20s, um, actually probably since my teens, but I was diagnosed in my 20s, and uh, there's, there, there's a lot of stigma around being depressed. Uh, I remember sleeping a lot when I wasn't forcing myself to go to school, or and all, I would skip school to sleep um, in, in high school, because yeah, I... Cause I And so you you get that label. You know what's coming, right? You're so lazy. Why are you so lazy? And it's hard to explain to someone who's neurotypical that sometimes you're you're just exhausted. You're just... There's no physical reason for your exhaustion, but you're exhausted anyway. And you can't concentrate. And you can't think. And words don't come. And... Sometimes, like, you can sleep 12 hours get up and be so physically and mentally and emotionally exhausted that you're slurring your words. And that was my life before medication. Um, And I'm only actually medicated for clinical depression these days. Uh, I take Cymbalta. I used to take Lexapro. Um, I switched to Cymbalta. Is it Cymbalta? That sounds right. I switched to Cymbalta because it's also... um, a secondary it's not it's an off label treatment for fibromyalgia which honestly i think fibromyalgia should probably be on the neurodivergence list as well because of the symptoms and issues that it causes in the brain cuz fibro fog is often more of an issue for me than anything else i've got going on these days
1: i mean it yeah. is unreal and, and at the risk of bringing up you know the panorama i think long covid is also creating a whole new a new area of of neurodivergence for the scientists don't know what to do with right now because of the long-term cognitive issues that um, people who've had covid potentially have um not to mention um the neurological issues it has caused sometimes and particularly in children who've got it um more so than adults but um but I yeah, I do same-
0: see a rheumatologist for my fibromyalgia. Yes, because it is considered an autoimmune disease. Um, it's
1: not autoimmune. It's but connected yeah, to I issue, mean, which are yeah. It but the doctor, rheumatologists huh. do treat it, but it uh, fibro fibro. That's not is not classified as autoimmune.
0: Cause see, it, that's that's what he told me. Maybe I need a new rheumatologist
1: because he told um, me that it, it, was, it has that I, it, that I should say. I have an autoimmune disease. Well, I mean, there's it typically accompanies autoimmune diseases. So, I mean, but I I've never I mean I I could do some googling, but I, I've never heard that fibro. Um, it, it, there it can be secondary to other autoimmune diseases. So it's often it's not uncommon for people with lupus or scleroderma or one of the other or ankylosing uh, spondylitis or whatever to have fibromyalgia. <laughs> say that but say that four times. <laughs> no. <Wow. laughs> <laughs> but as far as i but know no, it, I it, mean, I, it in and of itself keep... go ahead but because but because of the systems it treats because of the systems it affects it's considered rheumatological but as far as i know it's not autoimmune um they but, do keep you know lupus I mean, it, it, it's, it started...
0: the h word on my table hashimoto Hesh, Heshim, hashimoto
1: yeah um yeah hashimoto, hashimoto thyroid, yes. thyroiditis it was just not coming
0: yeah. out of my mouth yeah, that's that's also on my list of, of We're gonna check this yearly until one of these makes sense to us.
1: <laughs> and for some
0: people, just terrorize some you people with these have, two things until one of them makes sense.
1: And some people present more with fibro, and then the autoimmune disease is underlying, and then the, and then they it, it, it's almost like it comes into focus later on. I guess you could say um mm-hmm. but usually it's if 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 there's an autoimmune component it usually from everything i've learned over the years it's usually the fibro is secondary f- to the autoimmune disease but some people have fibro and have no autoimmune component at all mm. so anyway um curiously but curiously, when my fibro is
0: acting up my psoriasis is four or five times worse <laughs> I don't know if my psoriasis makes my fibro worse or my fibro makes my psoriasis work worse. But it seems like when I'm having my,
1: really bad. My guess would be that whatever, there's something underpinning that's making them both bad. That's flaring. Whatever causes the flare up is is triggering both conditions. That there's like a lynch. I'm
0: wondering if I have cir- serotic cir- 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 cirijuana- arthritis? Cir- arthritis. That, that could be.
1: It's also on the list. that could be. Psoriatic, yeah. Psoriatic, psoriatic arthritis. Psoriatic. Yeah, psoriatic arthritis. Um, you should have seen these
0: girls. So these, these people trying to get me to pronounce words while you were gone.
1: Oh. <laughs> so there's 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 a, there's an interesting thing. So I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something out there about um my own experience here. This is just my experience. People can get very territorial or very protective of what they perceive to be their space or their the definitions of things or how. So this is not intended to encroach on anybody's def- sense of self or their how they define themselves or how they look at their own life or their own wellness or their own creativity. If something doesn't work for you, you need to like hang up and stop listening. This is, I'm speaking from my perspective, Kira speaking from her perspective. There's a, there's a whole thing I kind of like backtrack a little bit when I had um, one of the things that contributes to where I feel like it would be a some of the neurodivergent issues I struggle with is when I had the traumatic brain injury and I lost my sense of smell and so I got a seizure disorder as a result um, and, if, and a few other things so there's some definitely some permanent brain damage that occurred because of the, the brain injury um, and the loss of sense let, of smell we, we suck so focus... live
0: in a bubble, we tried
1: we, yeah, they did try <laughs> the loss of sense of smell specifically <laughs> we and did this try. Is, I don't, yeah, this is not um a um this is not the the sense of smell issue is not is not has nothing really to do about this discussion about neurodiversity, but when I was looking for one of the issues that um. Uh, it's been it's been years. If you don't get it back within six months, it can usually considered permanent. So um, one of the things that I struggle with is people who lose their sense of smell often struggle with um, pretty significant depression afterwards. You know, if it's considered permanent. Because it affects a lot of things. There's also some health consequences for people who have lost a sense of smell. And so I did a lot of reading about this online and trying to get some support. My therapist honestly didn't know what to do with it. She didn't know how to counsel somebody who had lost her sense of smell. I think she would have been fine being able to counsel somebody who had... And I knew she actually had patients who were blind, and I knew she had patients who were deaf because she, one of the things that was in her profile was that she could sign and she was proficient in sign language. So she had deaf patients. So she was proficient in counseling people who had dealt with sensory loss, but sense of smell really threw her. Like to her, it was like, well, she just kind of wanted to minimize and go, well, at least it's not worse as opposed to helping me deal with what I was dealing with. She wanted me to just try to minimize it. Gross. Not helpful. So one it's of the so things gross. that people who lose their sense of smell struggle with is things like um health issues because of you know they can't there's also some potential um there's a higher suicide risk with um with any sensory loss but there is specifically talking about sense of smell um, there's a a significant a significant increase in suicide um, rate after loss of sense of smell Um, there is a uh, other health issues and death related to things like food poisoning Um, Chemical exposure, the person can't smell. Inability to smell, threat like fire. Um, Food poisoning in particular is a a big one for people who lose their sense of smell because they can't necessarily tell when they're consuming bad food. Particularly for some reason, spoiled meat doesn't register necessarily on the taste buds. So... When I was, so I, I was struggling to, yeah, natural gas was a real issue. Any kind, anything, anything that you would normally detect, one of the things your sense of smell does for you is it, it, it's a threat alert system. And when you don't have that, so I felt very um, unsafe in addition to all of the other issues I was struggling with about adjusting to things tasting different and not being able to just enjoy the way the world smelled and that little pang I felt every time somebody would um, you know put out there um, like a thing about oh my God, that smells so good there would be like this little like you know this like little emotional little emotional thing that would happen for me when people would say stuff like that. But anyway, so I was struggling and so I because I wasn't getting help, with my therapist, and there aren't a lot of therapists who specialize particularly in um, lost of sense of smell. There are actually a couple of clinics It's in the U.S. It's actually apparently so weirdly specialized that, although who knows, if be post-COVID, there'll be more. But there's a couple of clinics in the U.S. Right. that deal specifically with loss of sense of smell therapy because it's, a lot of doctors just don't know what to do with it. And they don't know how to counsel people. So I did what people do, and I sought help from what I thought would be my peer group people who have struggled with sensory loss of some sort. And I went to forums um, and support groups to try to talk about um, the loss of... And there was this one forum that I went to that was specifically about... The whole forum was about sensory loss. And there were different forums for different types of sensory issues so there was one about for people who had hearing issues people who had visual issues um people who had like literal sensory issues like sense of touch issues because there are those people who can't feel pain and the struggles that that has for them and then um there was one on um a forum for people who had lost their who who didn't who had some form of anosmia or um there also had some sub forums for things like um phantom smells, phantosmia, I think it's called phantosmia. So the problem came in with, even though I was on the forum for people talking about this specific issue, I wasn't on some other forum. I was on the forum for people who had complete loss of sense of smell. There were people come in and interject from other, they were registered users of the forum and they would come in and interject in these discussion threads telling us to stop whining. You don't have a real disability. This isn't a real problem. It's not like you lost your sense of sight. It's not like you lost your hearing. Um, shut the fuck up and quit being a big baby. And these people, they had... they, It was like basically saying, you have no right to feel how you feel. Even though this space on this forum was set aside for you to talk about this, we're going to interject about how we don't feel like your issue is real. It's not as big as our issue. And so therefore you should shut the fuck up. Now, I'm it, not, I would admins? never do a comparative issue. When is what? Jilly? Yeah. Are we having are, are we having a latency issue? No, I think that uh, um, my my, I heard you and then everything went quiet. I don't think it was latency. I think everything just went silent for a second. I don't know why. Okay. It could have been. Well, an the,
0: well, I, what I asked is, where the hell were the admins on this forum? Because I don't know how that kind of a, that is. that is
1: so fucking infuriating. <laughs>
0: I, I want to go over. Well, there and the cut thing is, out. is, that
1: people report it. They would report the people, and these people would get chastised and told, "This is their space. They have a right to have these discussions." We're deleting your posts. Go back to your forum right but they would not kick them off because it's like and because it, to some degree the feeling was the even from the mods started to be a little bit okay they're either visually impaired or hear, hearing impaired and this is more their space than it is your space so you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna chastise them and delete their posts. we're not gonna stop them from behaving this way and wow It was almost as if your issue, people acknowledging and dealing with and giving space to your issue, this was the vibe, takes away from my issue, which is an absurd, absurd place to be. And if that's the state of mind someone is in, that... Other people's reality can't exist. and People can't feel how they feel. That basically what they're trying to do, they want to be in a comparative situation. They want to be going, my disability is worse, my sensory loss is worse, my whatever is worse. And you should be... Feeling whatever and giving the attention to me and being quiet about your own issues and the same thing I've seen this this happen in discussions at times. Sometimes there's a great sense of community in neuro, discussions about neurodiversity and neurodivergence, and sometimes there's this also this same vibe about well, you don't have this type of neurodivergence, so we're not talking to you. Be quiet. We're not talking about depression. We're not talking about this and. I, it, it part of me go, kind of goes, okay, if the discussion is about this specific thing, then that will stay on topic. But if it's not that, then what are you so bent about? So I just brought this up to say that if you're looking for a specific, a specific discussion about a specific type of neurodivergence or a specific type of issue because you feel some sort of, you know, A a sense of uh, identity with it, which is fine to feel a sense of identity with something, but if it's to the point that you can't tolerate other people having a perspective or a place in the world and their own experience, then you need to stop listening. Because I am not going to entertain anybody's emails on this subject. Because when it comes to these kinds of topics, when we get into talking about... When we get into talking about our mental health issues or just the way our brains are wired as particularly as it pertains to creativity, we're sharing some really deeply personal stuff. And I'm not interested in listening to anybody invalidating that because it doesn't match their personal life experience. You have your experience. I have my experience. I'm putting that out there that I've already dealt with the, I'm going to invalidate you because for some reason your existence doesn't make me feel good. So shut up. I've already dealt with that in my life. To a degree that I don't ever want to deal with it again. And so I'm not going to entertain. That kind of attitude. In relation to what we I mean I've
0: even. had. I've had emails from people listening to the podcast. More than once tell me they wish. That I would not discuss my depression. On the podcast. Because it was inappropriate. Well, they
1: can just kiss my it ass. It reminds me.
0: Right? It reminds me. I was watching this. this like, I can't call a little girl. I was watching this grown woman. On Twitch. Her name is Lil Simzy. If you don't watch Lil Simsy, she plays Sims. She, she plays The Sims Four, and she plays some other little games too. She she prefers cozy games. I find her very um, relaxing to listen to. So sometimes I'll put her her stream on in the background because she just makes me feel better. She just she's she's really sweet and. Um, she plays cozy games, and she has a her her voice is just very relaxing to me. And one day she was talking, um, and she said she was uncomfortable because she started her period, and somebody in the chat room chastised her for mentioning that she had her period. And in a moment of rare hostility, she went off. <laughs> normal half the people on the planet have this thing go on for them this is normal i'm gonna i'm I'm on my period (laughs) it was was, but you know there are people like that who listen to the podcast who don't want us discussing things like you know our periods and clinical depression and cannibalism
1: (laughs) and then we get really awful emails
0: Really and awful emails. Really, and I really,
1: just, I just don't really want to hear it. Really awful
0: emails. And... No, I don't want to hear it either. I... Um, but... Yeah, so clinical depression. I have been... I mean... Medication was the best decision for me. It is the reason that I'm here today. Because there was a point in my life when not being here was my goal and it remained my goal for years and i tried to accomplish it more than once i don't want to trigger anybody so i don't want to you know i'm not going to get into specifics about that but medication saved my life medication um, put me in a place where i was comfortable with my own existence so when someone tells me, "You don't need medication; you just need to get outside and take a fucking walk," I want to bash them in the face, but I'm on medication, so I don't. <laughs> Nature can't cure what's wrong with me; pharmaceuticals can. Well, not cure, but fit. You know, manage. It manages my my situation for me. Pharmaceuticals, and
1: that's right. Store bought
0: is fine. That's right. And so you know. Being, um, being, one of the things, back to this, you know, one of the things that I really, I made decisions for myself early on in my life that I was not going to pursue writing professionally. I mean, like, it's like a, a decision I made, like, when I was 13 or 14 years old. I already, I'd already written two novels, and somebody had asked me, well, are you going to try to get them published? And my, my first answer was, no, absolutely not. I'm not interested in that and then <clears throat> it got this question got asked me repeatedly um what are you going to do with that when are you going to stop wasting your time what are you going to do with that you've written how many books you know you haven't tried to get a single one of them published can you just not get published are you lying did you actually try to get published and you get told no and one time that guy asked me why don't you just admit people keep rejecting your work Well, nobody had ever rejected my work because I'd never submitted it. And I got so furious that I submitted my work. I submitted four different projects, some short stories, two novels, and I got contracts on all four projects. Because in case you missed it, I'm kind of (laughs) talented. And I always have been. I have that it they talk about. Have the it? you're the it, you it
1: factor. It. Or, or what is oh, yeah, I got the, the X it factor. factor. No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, I mean, there's that it, right? They they tell you you have, you have, you have it. Why are you wasting it? And so, for a while there, I, I, I pitched, I cashed checks, I put books out, um, I I did short stories and and anthologies, uh, and. I was miserable. It wasn't what I wanted, and so I had to make a decision, a mental health decision, to withdraw from that part of, of. And you know, when I've like when I published this, Kira, it, there there was no pressure, um, at all because, it it was like I again I was only satisfying myself, um, and I didn't care if it sold, and I there was no, um, pressure on me because of a check that I cashed before I wrote the book, which is don't write on spec, don't ever write on spec. If, if you want to publish professionally, write, write your book, then write your proposal and mail off the proposal with your book already written. That way you can sign that contract and cash that check and hand them the book. Because writing on spec, which is when you write a proposal but don't write the book, and then only write the book if you sell, is very 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 fucking stressful and if you don't thrive under stress like that it's not worth it it is so super not worth it um also while it's perfectly okay to sign a contract with a first look clause do not sign a multi-book contract if you cannot thrive under pressure if you get offered a book deal and they say hey we love this book we'd like to see two more we're going to give you a three book deal and we're going to give you ten thousand dollars now this is when self-control comes into play. I had none. I cashed that check. I only had one book written. Don't be like me.
1: She, She's older and wiser now. Or at least older. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because even now, I mean, today, I would not, I would 100% turn down a three-book deal.
1: I'd be Unless like, okay, I'm written. really
0: glad you like this book. Unless I had all three books written. I'm really glad you like this book. I'm going to go write the other two books that you think you want. And if you still want them a year from now, we can have contracts on those too. But there is no fucking way. There is no fucking way I would ever sign a book deal. Um we don't want pics or gifts in the chat. Um it's it's it's, it's so destroying, honestly. And making mental health decisions for yourself that are to your benefit can sometimes be very difficult because not only do you have to make these decisions and sometimes you have to make sacrifices but things that you thought you wanted or maybe that you actually do want but you realize that trying to pursue whatever this thing is 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 destroying you whether mentally or physically and so after you make that decision and you make that sacrifice and you make that choice then you get into a position where people around you force you to defend that decision repeatedly. Mhm. And there is it's yeah. it's awful. It is awful to have to make this really difficult, often heartbreaking decision for yourself so that you will feel better and to have everybody around you make you defend yourself and your decision.
1: Or it is there's a subtle form of defense they'll put you on which is suggesting how you could do your decision better it's subtle it's not like mm-hmm. you did it wrong it's saying oh it's like oh i respect what you did but what if you did just this little bit different it's like no nah, no nah, i i don't want your your opinion <laughs> not any of it the last time um, the last time one of my
0: cousins brought up my decision to stop publishing professionally I told her to suck my dick. And my husband said, absolutely not.
1: From the back. You know he carries my <laughs> dick. <laughs> but Tell him I get mean, it, right, it you know? is a
0: form of psychological from, from the back. warfare, yet, right? From the back. Um. Psychological warfare. Yeah, it is. It is a form of that. And sometimes they don't... eat they, Honestly, most of the people who you surround yourself with, your family and your friends, they don't mean to terrorize you with these these questions. A lot of times they... You know, my family wants the best for me. My husband wants the best for me. My, my, my mom is really proud of my professional work. Um, sold it out of the back of her minivan. <laughs>
1: She's dealer. some kind of dealer, <laughs> but but for Erotica, I'm a but romance it... dealer. I'm a <laughs> that made her. I'll, I'll say she's a sex dealer, but that makes her a pimp.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for my books, absolutely. I mean, she would she would to this day if she saw one of my books on the shelf, she'd front it. She absolutely would turn it around so everybody could see my cover because that's just the way my mama is. Yeah, she did it for my books for for over a year. um no shame in her game at all, honestly. Uh, and if she finds one of my books in the used bookstore when we're there, she'll she'll take it to the owner and say, "You know, my daughter wrote this book. Would, would you like her to autograph it?"
1: Yeah, that's so cute.
0: <laughs> it is it's just, but also it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> um, yeah, I made this, I made that, and she made this. But yeah, so, but that, that's what I got into that whole happiness model. Where when somebody asks me what I'm doing with my writing or what I'm doing with my time, I tell them I'm doing what makes me happy. And then I watch them struggle to try to tell me I'm not allowed to do something that makes me happy.
1: Right. Uh, That's... Oh, well... mm, mm. (laughs) But but what about... um, mm? Right.
0: And a good person will stumble because they don't want to tell you you're not allowed to be happy. And, but, you know, then there's also assholes in your life that will say, well, you know, um, like I have, I have a a male cousin who's a total motherfucker. Oh my God, I can't stand his ass. I wouldn't let him suck my dick from the back, okay? (laughs) That's... Well, obviously, because he's my cousin, but um, but he is just a complete motherfucker, right? And um, we were at a thing, and he brought up the fact that I had not published in a while, and I wasn't bringing home any money. And my man said, "My my wife don't have to bring home money. Don't worry about it." You should have seen his face. <laughs> there was, in no... other words, my mind your own business. <laughs> my wife don't have to bring home money. <laughs> it was like, well, dude, you'd like it if I did. <laughs> but that wasn't the point he wanted to make because so I didn't say anything. Um, but, yeah, because people, like, we we talked before about how people attach, um, like, certain hobbies have this expectation that you should make money from it. Like, you know, dudes, like dude doesn't get asked if he's gonna make money off the deer he hunted last winter. No, he's not. He's going to eat that whole damn thing. He's not selling it.
1: I'm just saying. I think it goes both ways. I think it goes both ways, though. There's people who engage in a hobby, and people are like, oh, you're doing this thing that is your hobby, or it's fun for you, or you enjoy it. Is there a way for you to monetize it? We have this monetization mindset. And then there's the flip side. of people who are engaging in their hobby, and they go, oh, I've been crocheting hats, and I'm not being dismissive of crochet, okay, but... I've been dismissing, you know, I've, I've been, um, sorry, I've been crocheting hats for all these years, and I could have been selling them. There's a lot of people crocheting hats, not, you know, and, and the reason that that popped into my head was because um, I know people, a lot of people who who knit or crochet, and the ones who I find don't try to turn into it into a monetization kind of thing, stay the happiest with their hobby, and those who try to monetize their hobby wind up. This is a broad stroke, but wind up miserable. And I. it also starts to get stressful with your friends because there's nothing quite like a friend who suddenly offers you a $90 scarf that you don't need because, you know, you live in California. Um, you want this $90 scarf? Uh, n- no, <laughs> I don't want a $90 scarf. Is that actually worth 90 bucks? Well, I put a lot of time and effort into it. And the thing is, it's, it's that thing is like, yes, the amount of time they put into it warrants $90. But who's going to spend $90 on a scarf? So, But there's this mindset of, oh, I, I'm I'm putting time and effort into it. And I've heard people say this. I'm putting time and effort into it. I need to make money on it. Why does everything we put time and effort into need to make money? There was a big discussion. This is way back. This is way back in MHQ days on Facebook, y'all where somebody was talking Mm -hmm. about, um, they put it up there that, you know, that they needed to, what's the best way to make money on fan fiction? And everybody, everybody shut that. Y'all were good. 90% of people jumped on very politely and shut that conversation down. Like you can't do that. There's a couple of legal ways you can make money on fan fiction, which is you can write fan fiction on things that are in public domain. But if you're talking about, and this was specifically, I believe around Harry Potter, you cannot write you cannot make money on it. And their response was, "Oh, well, if I can't make money on it, I I can't afford to waste time doing something I can't make money on." Um, well, if that's the way you look at your hobby, <laughs> if you look at if you look at your hobby as a waste of time, then with if it's if it's not something you can monetize, then okay. Um it, not everything I think and this thing there- is that...
0: There is a mentality in fandom, though, that there's this this little subculture of trying to monetize other people's intellectual property because of their time investment. It's strictly time investment. It's not like, you know, because honestly, if I wanted to read Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, I'd go fucking read Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I don't need your version of it. And I sure as hell I'm not going to pay for your version of it. Just putting that out there. I don't understand how people can support these fanfic authors on Patreon, um, knowing, number one, that it's illegal, and number two, that there is an abundance of fanfiction they could be reading for free. Why give this greedy asshole thief
1: money? Is that a hot take? That's probably a hot take. Is is, is that still a thing? It's not. No, there are people who are still trying to make. They are trying to make money on this kind of thing, um, but it is this mentality people put into of like I put so much money into this, so, so much time into this, and I people love it, and I, I I must I'm talented, therefore I need to figure out how to make money on it, and those that is not. Um, the, if you were that really is not talented, the mindset.
0: You could write your own original characters and get it published. I'm just
1: saying. That's right. If that's if if money was your goal, and the thing is, if you have a big fandom audience, you will do better in the original fiction market than somebody who's just going into original fiction without having bit, done the stopover in fandom. That's just the truth, because p- fandom people will support you in your original fiction pursuits uh, if you're any good. So, Absolutely,
0: one of my little people, shorts was a number one on Amazon.
1: <laughs> yeah, the one of one. my books went to number and th- went, went to number three. Um, for 24 hours, I yeah. was stunned, which, which means almost nothing. I mean, that's not, like, it's not like that meant it made a right. lot of money. It, did. it didn't. It just meant that for, it didn't. for a no. blip, it was very popular, you know, for, for, for a while, it just sold a lot. So on, on Amazon's algorithm, so people will support you if you move into something that is truly monetizable but if you look at your hobby and your your interest not not everyone's passion and their vocation align that's just not the case for everyone and if you're one of the few whose passion and their your vocation are are the same thing i i applaud you you're very lucky most of us are not in that boat where our work and the thing we love are the same exact thing. Um, I think the best that many people achieve this is just based upon my personal experience of interacting with people, is they have hobbies they really enjoy and are passionate about and work that they enjoy and that doesn't make them insane. Okay. Then there's a segment of people who are just miserable at work. And we won't talk about that because we're not trying to depress everybody, but the need to hobby- right? right. The need to monetize your hobby. for most people. Right. The need to monetize your hobby is what that's kind of saying is I wonder if that's people who are not happy with their job. And so they're like, I got to monetize my hobby so I can get out of my job. I don't know what all's behind that. But I do know that a lot of people aren't very happy once they monetize their hobby. It's like, oh, I used to love my hobby and now I hate it. So, not everyone. I understand
0: that money model is misery inducing because I've been there, Um, and it wasn't. I mean, because my writing is even. I don't consider my fan fiction actually hobby writing. I take it very seriously. Um, I guess you take your hobbies very seriously. But what I will say is that when I was much younger and in professional circles, being being a hobby writer. Was very stigmatizing. I mean, it was like you're what? <laughs> Are you contagious? <laughs> I don't want whatever you got. <laughs> How'd you get here? <laughs> it was I'd like it was almost worse writer. than just being a, rom- a romance writer,
1: <laughs> right? Which I rather be a hobby oh, writer. You're a what? Who, and you admitted to it, right? I would rather be a hobby <laughs> right? writer who gets it, who, who gets it who gets it done. Than be a the person who's been writing the same novel for 30 years.
0: Yeah, yeah much Write, judgment intended. The, okay? the great American writer. The great American writer. We see you. We see you. One day your first draft will be done. We're mostly certain <laughs> of that circumstance on and your then behalf.
1: You can, and then I, you can be proud that you wrote one book. <laughs> you know, which is fine. Um, Write the one meanwhile, book. Meanwhile, I wrote four that's last year. I'm just saying. Actually, I wrote five. That no. does not. Six. I think writing one book in a lifetime does not a writer make. That just is somebody who, that is literally somebody who just had some idle time with a pencil here and there and a lot of time to ruminate (laughs) with a pencil.
0: (laughs) Please don't write with a pencil. Pencil fades. Y'all don't, don't, don't write with a pencil. (laughs) Okay. The consumer thing. Someone brought it up. There is, um, there is a product consumer model in fandom that I find deeply offensive. I'm going to put a caveat out there first. Did I say that right? Caveat? That's another one of those words I learned from Jilly. I knew the word. You did. I just wanted to say it right. <laughs> <laughs> no. I didn't always say it right. I knew it. I just didn't say it right. I, I, can't, I can't even tell you now how I used to say it. Let's just say that it was not accurate. Um, so I love that people enjoy my work. I don't enjoy being called a big name fan. I love that people come back and read my work over and over again. I am grateful for my audience and it is really amazing to be told that I'm somebody's place of comfort on the internet, that people come to my site because they know that they're safe with my content. I, that is really amazing. That being said, I don't expect. Comments, emails, kudos, likes. This is not a transaction for me. I don't have any kind of transactional situation going on between me and, and my readers. From my perspective. So my readers don't owe me anything. Because I don't owe my readers jack shit. Either. So there's no transactional situation going on for me. When it comes to comments and likes and I, it just it, that doesn't exist for me, um, but there is a mentality in fandom of people who get really bent around the axle about how many people comment on their on their stuff and how many kudos they get, and they take screenshots and share it like it's some kind of horse race or something. I I don't I get it. That's attention seeking, um, but I don't approve of it <laughs> at all. I find it very yeah. pathetic. Honestly, it's pathetic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if if you're very invested in that, but it's pathetic.
1: (laughs) Get Ellie. I barely answer the text. People I share blood with send me. I'm amazed when I respond to a comment. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I'm the same way with that text sometimes. Um, The the only (coughs) transaction I expect with my readers, my readership is that um, if they're not enjoying what they're reading, that they will act like adults and leave. That's it, right? That's the that's end good, of my. That's a good transaction.
0: I approve that.
1: My trans. That that's my expectation is that you will take care of yourself. I will do my part. You will do your part, and we'll both behave like adults. And I will appreciate if you you will appreciate if you appreciate it. What I wrote, that's great. And if you feel like commenting, I will appreciate it. So there, there will be appreciation potentially. But it is not expected. The <laughs> only thing I expect is that everyone will behave like a grown up. Now I don't always get that. <laughs> but that's my
0: only no, expectation. No. And sometimes she ends up on urban dictionary learning things she wish she never had to see. Oh God.
1: I'll tell you all about that after I'm the glad podcast. To know. We don't need to record that crazy.
0: I I had right? no idea. And this but... this is
1: this apparently also I get some
0: Beautiful art, and I love the art that I get, but I don't consider it payment and I don't expect it. But whenever I get it, it's like, Oh, look at (sighs) what I'm practically married. (laughs) I know, I know. Do you see? (laughs) It's all so beautiful. I'm so excited. Um, but wait, what are we talking about? There, there is that my. No, just the old art that I got from Hailstrom. Hailstrom. Oh yeah,
1: Hailstrum? yeah, yeah. the The recently Hailstrom, Hailstrom, and uh, the one you, the two you, you gotten recently. They were just, just mind boggling. Hailstrom's art, art. And if, it, then if st- you go over uh, to fashions. My
0: site, yes, fashion is uh, art fashion, fashion is, is the one flirting with me. Fashion is the one flirting with me, trying to be um, my my internet spouse. Um, if you go over to my site um, and go to my art collection, my fan art, um, there's the Art of Exodus. And that's where I put all the art from fashion. Um, trying to woo me and she succeeded. Just gonna put that out there. They succeeded. I'm I'd marry. Sure I'd marry. I'd marry. I
1: didn't. I'd internet marry her if I wasn't already internet married. Um, right. <laughs> um.
0: I, I know that some readers get, writers get bit around the axle about their readers not appreciating the work that they put out. Um, but I don't write for attention. And I don't write and put my work out there to be um, appreciated or, or, or praised. Uh, I Honestly, that kind of investment in fandom would end up being very detrimental to me on a mental level. So we could take it back to our, our topic. Um, and a lot of people do. They get really invested in what their readers think. They get really invested in providing this this, this thing for their reader and their reader expectations. And that is toxic as fuck. It is super toxic. Yeah, it is. And when you get in that position, it's really hard to be creative. And al- already, because of the depression and... Um, it, Various mental issues that I have around uh, the fibro it makes being creative very difficult. I don't need to make my situation worse. There is something allowing readers to have expectations of me.
1: No, absolutely not. Um, It's toxic as hell. Those situations and and the authors who thrive on it um, tend to only thrive on it short term. Because what happens is when real life starts intruding on their update schedule or when they start to struggle with where their storyline is going or whatever, and they that, that those promises and that, that, that deep, that borderline parasocial connection they've now got with their audience starts to become a huge source of stress. And they... What often happens is they just have to walk away from the project entirely. You've seen it. I mean, we've all seen this happen. We've all seen an author just go, I can't cope. And I just walk away from a project. And I don't think it's the writing that's the issue. They they'll talk about it like it's the story, but I think it's the expectation that they've allowed and they have created this situation, let's be fair. They have allowed this expectation to grow with their audience. I'll be posting every Tuesday and Saturday for the next year until this is done, or that's a lot of chapters. Um <laughs> But you know, they <laughs> put this expectation lot. out there. And then the life happens. Life they're we're real people. There are real people behind the screens, and that feeds really into because there's there's something in the question that I think um, I'm not going to read the whole question because there's some specifics in here that aren't really germane to the topic. But um, the question said that the person was hospitalized and they were had they were diagnosed um, with autism and ADHD and some mental illness in addition to other disabilities, um, and that people may see this as a bad thing but for them getting the help they need has made it so they can actually create again and it's as if the creativity is trying to make up for lost time all at once by trying all the things and then they kind of explain some of the things they've been getting into and they say any tips uh for you know for the neurodivergent creators who have dealt with this sorry for you know for the so there's two pieces of that that i kind of want to talk about the first is what they talked about about the diagnoses and how that's kind of set them free a little bit and the other is the tips there is something to be said for accepting and figuring out how to live in your situation in your reality because a lot of times I think one of the things that gets between in the way of creativity for people whether it's depression or whether it's Uh, it could be just physical illness. It doesn't have to be a mental or a neurodivergent issue even. It could be a physical condition. Um, It could be, or it could be something like ADHD. Any of these things, untreated, unknown, the stress of the unknown, what is this problem? The stress of living through not understanding can be crippling for um, when it comes to being able to be a creative person and so there are times for many people where just getting the answer and not just the answer but starting the path of treatment getting the medication you need so there's a combination of things getting the answer is a huge first step for some people it's like oh this thing that i have been struggling with my you know some people feel like their their own brain is an enemy whether it's because they've got, you know, tension issues or because of uh, autism or because of mood issues, they feel like their own brain is fighting them. And finding out the answer to that can be like, okay, I'm not imagining it. That can be hugely liberating. Starting to get treatment, getting the help you need, whether it's medication or therapy or whatever, also can really... And then and then there's also the third component, accepting the situation that you're in and the, figuring out how to make your life the best that it can be now that you know and now that you accept it. And once you've kind of got that trifecta, it really can set you free creatively because all of these things that have been pulling your energy mentally and then sometimes physically too are suddenly that weight is off of you and it can really really unblock you because there can be I don't we've talked about the myth of writer's block so this is not about a writer's block but there can be that all of your energy is being put to this stressor that is suddenly dealt with well now you can direct that where you want it to be and so we can now then we can get later to the point about you're being pulled in too many directions but if you're not at the point yet where you have figured out what's going on, um, where you're getting the help you need—that's that's the first step. The first steps is figuring out what's going on and getting the help you need. And the third piece of that is you've got to figure out how to accept. Because people who don't accept the situation that they're in are not going to be able to be set loose creatively because they're too busy fighting their own reality. Really, and I have I, mean, I have family members who are like this. Is anxiety. Yeah, and I have I have family members who are like this who who are chronically depressed, severe depression, um, I would suspect um, possibly something more along the lines of bipolar disorder, who will not get help, who act like taking medication or seeing a therapist is like some sort of admission of weakness or something like that. And all of their time and all of of this, their spare energy is spent towards trying to appear normal. How can somebody be creative and enjoy their life when all of their focus is on trying to pretend to be something they're not because um, what the fuck is even normal right what's that well i'm not even gonna right. get into the whole I, philosophical I will, debate about there is no such thing as normal
0: typical versus Go atypical. Ahead. um i want to say i want to say right. one little thing about that particular subject right there for, the, for those of you who have somebody in your life who acknowledges that they have a, a mental illness that they're not treating and they refuse to get treatment. They refuse to get help. They refuse to consider therapy. They don't. They are anti-medication. They refuse to take their medication. Um, you have the right, and honestly, the responsibility to yourself to separate yourself from them. And I am saying this someone who's who's been clinically depressed more than half of my life. You don't have to put up with their bullshit. You don't have to invest your time and your energy and your emotions in managing their condition because they won't. Mm-hmm. You deserve better.
1: We like to get because there is nothing like more infuriating than
0: someone. <sighs>
1: it's it, oh, I have an Good uncle someone. who
0: is who's. Mm, I want to punch him sometimes because he refuses eh. to get help and then acts like it's everybody else's problem
1: motherfucker no this is your yeah. problem and the thing is just because somebody has a mental health issue does not mean that they're incompetent and we need to learn to make that distinction that just because someone is under we we can't declare someone incompetent every time somebody's under mental stress or mental, i mean there are very specific very limited very narrow circumstances under which someone's mental competence is called into question and just having a mental illness like just being depressed um, is, isn't it someone may not be making the best decisions for themselves but it doesn't mean that they're not they're not competent it doesn't mean and so that means that they're making choices and maybe they, and they, they aren't actually making good choices and you don't necessarily need to be in the splash zone of their bad choices So, um, you know, I have a family member who was ultimately diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic through many, 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 many rounds in and out of the hospital, arrests, living on the streets, that kind of thing. And outside of having a lot of money to apply for legal conservatorship, there's just not a lot you can do to make people get help because when the hospital says it's up to him To decide if he's going to take his medication or not. And if he's not going to take his medication. These are all. These are choices he's allowed to make. He's allowed. (coughs) So. um, Anyway that can get really deep. Your conditions.
0: Your condition is not an excuse to treat other people badly. If you're hurting. And you're in pain. You don't have the right to abuse everybody around you. Because of it. I work very hard not to take out... Because sometimes my pain is like a nine, you know. Um, And it is really difficult to be civil. And when I can't be civil, I work very hard to not be around people. So I don't lash out inappropriately. But if you have somebody in your life doing that, you don't have to put up with it. You being miserable is not an excuse or a reason for you to be allowed to abuse other people. No.
1: And in There's the realm no circumstance where you of... get
0: to be allowed. To hurt other people.
1: In the realm of. Of mental. Health issues that I think are. Probably the most common you're going to. Meet amongst people. Particularly in a fandom space. Um, I would guess. I would say the top two are depression and anxiety. And I would and say. Anxiety would disorders narcissism? run. <laughs> well. Narcissists—that's a whole separate thing. But um, in terms of people who, uh, in terms of the people who you, but we try to avoid the narcissists. But of the people who you're likely to be interacting with on a on a on a regular basis, there's probably a fair number of people that you encounter online whether you are aware of it or not who have some form of anxiety disorder anxiety based disorder whether it's social anxiety and there's some people who who could not have a conversation with you in person but are able to talk to you online and that's anxiety driven um whether it's so whether it's social anxiety whether it's ocd OCDs is an anxiety disorder um whether it's just a general generalized anxiety i would say A a huge percentage of people, greater percentage of people that I meet in fandom than that I meet in real life have anxiety issues. So um, that is a different way of thinking. And the brain operates different in somebody who has chronic anxiety issues. Not anxiety. I don't mean like, I don't mean situational anxiety. Like it hasn't stopped raining for 40 days. And we're wondering if there's going to be an arc you know, not, I don't mean like a realistic, are you okay, California? reasonable situational. We're worried. Right? It's been raining for a minute. We are. Thinking about you, Az. Are you okay? Um, <laughs> I don't mean, you I'm not talking yet? about a reasonable situation. <laughs> yeah. A reasonable situational anxiety is not what I'm talking about. That's just like, that happens to people. But when people have sort of a chronic anxiety, um, what I had to take this, um, this, this, at this test before I could have the surgery where they, they basically want to make sure you're mentally capable of getting through the surgery and the, af- and, and the recovery period and they have you do this standard test, it's a psychological assessment and it's hundreds and hundreds of questions and sometimes they're giving you the same question like 50 different ways, you know um, 50 is an exaggeration but like it's probably 400 questions or more and sometimes you'll get the same question three or four times um, and um I uh, talked to the psychologist afterwards, and he said, "What do you think about the test?" And I said, "Well, I started to get a little bit paranoid about the, all the different ways you guys were phrasing the questions about paranoia." He said, he started laughing. He said, "Not everybody catches, you know, that we ask the same question multiple ways, um, but and there are quite a few questions about are you paranoid." I "I started to get paranoid because I kept saying no, and you guys kept it kept asking." But anyway. The result of that test that I took <laughs> was that he said, he said, what do you think about this? What do you think you how do you think you did on this test? He says, it's, it's not a pass fail kind of thing. That, what do you think your issues are after you took this test? I said, well, my best guess based of where I am now with my mental health, not because I mean, the, the test is reflective of where you are today, not where you've been in your life is that I have some general anxiety issues. He said that came through loud and clear. <laughs> <laughs> I am not he said I just he said it helps me that you are aware of that because he said self-awareness is really important and I guess one of the key things when it comes to any mental health issue or any kind of neurodivergent issue is self-awareness is really key where am I at in the universe where am I at in my head where do I where am I what is it did I, What did I struggle with? What do I have? What do I need to adapt to make myself functional? Um, what can I do to make it better? Is that medication? Is that adaptive aids? You know, is that, you know, what, what kinds of things are going to make my experience in the world and creatively better? And then, you know, execute on those things and do those things. And so for the person who originally asked the question that started us down this path... Um, I can see that they, in the situation they're in, despite an unfortunate set of circumstances leading them to where they kind of had this sort of kind of glut of health information put at them of here's diagnosis for you, here's treatment for you. And like all of a sudden, they're in a whole different place than they were before. And like all of a sudden, they're feeling creative when they hadn't before. And like all of a sudden, they want to do everything. So what do you do? What do you do when you want to do everything? Well, I will say, one of the things I would say is that sometimes people who are not even in that situation will just suddenly want to do everything. It's like you wake up in that mood where you want to work on every single thing you've ever written. I want to open up every work in progress and work on it. Except there's only one of me. and I only have two hands. I mean, I am waiting for the eight arms model with two brains. You know, (laughs) I'm waiting for it. You and me both
0: <laughs> what I do is i I make a list I make lists i um I write down my ideas these days I, I have an idea folder um I have an idea notebook if I'm out and about uh, sometimes like especially especially writing it down helps because like if I get anxious about forgetting it, writing it down means I won't forget it and that yeah. helps with the anxiety and when my brain is like squirrels um making myself put together a list a realistic list like in of course there'll be like two lists there'll be like a big giant ass list of things that i want to do and then i'll go through that list and go well no that's completely impossible what were you thinking no 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 yeah well yes i can probably do this and that goes on a different list so like creating a physical process for me is helpful to calm down my brain mm-hmm. so whether it's typing or it's writing um, this down, getting this down, taking my brain and doing a physical process will help my anxiety. The other side of it is like, I'll give it, like, there's an example, like I had to get an MRI and they put my head in a vice. I have claustrophobia, which I thought before this day, I had really, you know, done a lot of work. And I thought I had pretty much conquered my claustrophobia. I was not narrator would tell you that she was mistaken. Um, and I tried to when I was in this MRI for twenty minutes with my head and device, I was trying to get myself in a mental position where I could tell myself a story. Because one of the ways I calm myself down well I, this is a self soothing thing I've probably done all of my life, um, is I will tell myself a story. I've written whole books in my head that way tell myself a story except i was so anxious i couldn't get there and it's really difficult to be in a situation where you are so anxious and so upset and so worried that you can't do your own coping mechanism so i started to wiggle my foot now if you've had if you've ever had an mri you you know what happened next ma'am ma'am i need you to stop moving Ma'am, ma'am. Can you stop moving? And I was like, are we almost done because I'm about to have a panic attack? <laughs> you are like, how is was we affecting my head? <laughs> right? Because I have a I have clamped. a, a cyst in my in my face. Right. Uh, my head, your head is clamped ma'am. in position, you stop but you're moving? moving your foot. I was wiggling my foot like a motherfucker, I'm not going to lie. And I it was like <laughs> So he was like, Okay, so how can I help? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Tell me a story. He's like, What? I said, Tell me a story. I said, What'd you have for breakfast?
1: Tell me about Tell me how your you got war porridge.
0: <laughs> Yeah, so he told me how he told me his morning routine, how he got up and he made himself some coffee. But it was never. He said he 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 makes terrible coffee, so he all but he always tries to make coffee to save money. And then halfway to work, he'll stop at Starbucks anyway. <laughs> 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 I said, "Did you get one of those stupidly expensive sous vide eggs?" And he goes, "Yes, I did." <laughs> but oh, yeah, so eggs are good though. They are very good, but they are very expensive. Wow. Um, it's ridiculous. A, a, an egg should not cost that much.
1: <clears throat> it's probably, it's but speaking probably of two eggs. eggs.
0: <laughs> probably, yeah. Um, eggs are so expensive right now in the United States because of uh, flu. Bird flu. If you've noticed an up, uptick in, number one, your inability to, to get eggs, and number... Too, they cost a fucking
1: arm and a leg. It's because
0: of the avian flu. Yeah.
1: Same problem we have with getting our turkeys at the holidays. Yes. Price increase. Um, one of the things I wanted to... So when it comes to... For creative people. One of the things... When people... I Whether you have ADHD or not. Creative people can become very unfocused at times. When they are... When they're kind of, they, they, for a variety of reasons, they can be kind of all over the place. When you're in that state of mind, what Kira described is she knows what what will calm her down, what will help her focus. And when it comes to um, how to calm yourself down, it, 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 calm yourself down is kind of the wrong word. It's like how to find <clears throat> focus in the moment so that you can get something done because that's one of the things that really helps people who i think who are creative is to feel like they got their they got productive right they created something so how do you go from scattered all over the place to i did something and part of that i think it matters what makes you feel like you were productive will having a list of all of your projects make you feel like you're productive for that moment of all that all the things that are pulling your attention if you can sit down and design them the person who asked the question was specifically talking about uh, visual art more so than i think uh writing but will will having um will going out and getting um you know inspiration or getting source material or getting the pieces you need or getting the the background images or you know the textures and getting the because there's a lot of different components to doing visual art well getting all of that stuff together will that help you uh will, will you know just doing the background work help you feel productive or does that not do you need to actually start to make progress on on a on a piece on a on a a project. So it's important to understand for yourself when you're in that kind of scattered state is to know what is going to make you feel like you are more focused. And for for myself, I know that when I'm all over the place, getting something done, getting something written, working on one thing, even if I write down, I've got an idea for this and this and this and I want to work on this and this and this, Trying to get just a few thousand words in on something will help me feel less scattered. And it will also, if I, because if I let myself kind of stay too long in that chaotic state, I'll start to feel too unfocused and like I cannot get anything done. And so what is really important, I think, in that moment is that I figure out, and I know for myself, that what helps me, calm that kind of you know overly unfocused scattered creativity what gets me out of that state is to actually accomplish something now for from for me i don't have to finish something i just need to get something substantive done i find for myself the 8020 principle actually works really well with writing um about 20% of the effort does net about 80% of the writing And it's 80% of the effort is 20% of the of the product. That last 20% does take most of the time and it work, and that's the finishing it up, the falling action, the editing, the publishing. That the finishing part is labor intensive, and that is not the piece I need to be focusing on when I'm in that scattered creative state. When I'm in that scattered creative state, I need to be focused in that 20% effort space, which is where I'm getting 80% of the, I'm getting the big bang for the minimum, for the smaller effort. So I need to be banging out the stuff that is really vibrant in my head and just getting in and doing it. Now for someone who is doing art, you know, what is going to make you feel like you got something done because I really think that's really important for creative people who are a little all over the place is that even if you were all over the place for four hours that for that four hours you have something to show for it whether it's a thousand words you wrote or you got all the textures downloaded for the project that you're going to work on or you got you picked the fonts for the next thing you're going to do or you know so there's a there's a there's ways to kind of pull yourself in and help kind of focus yourself into a lane that will make you feel like you got something done. And, you know, the next day, if that didn't really ring your chimes, you can work on something else and go, okay, you know, I did that thing, but at really hunting for fonts and textures didn't really make me feel happy. So I think I would rather play with a new tool. So I'm going to go and experiment with this new software application um i don't have as much experience with that kind of creative zone for somebody who does visual arts uh which is like i said again the context of the question was was around visual art um i can only try to extrapolate what that would look like how i would take my writing process and apply it to that because even though i do art sometimes it i don't typically get into like a when i'm in a hyper creative state it's around writing it's not around art so um but what's important to me when I'm in that state is that I have something to show for that state. And if I let myself just be kind of scattered, so it's important to write down all those little thoughts that are coming into my head, but to also really kind of zoom in on something and, and go, okay, even if it's plotting, because sometimes I'm too scattered to write and I will plot something. And sometimes it's utterly insane. But sometimes it's all the more satisfying for being completely nuts. <laughs> That's like, the beauty of being a plotter. After that
0: that? you can plot something insane that you're not actually going to write, and it will satisfy that urge, and you can move on. Yeah,
1: and i've I've plotted many stories. You're out of my Like, yeah. You know, sometimes you just go, okay, basically what that winds up being is a a time, an afternoon I spent telling myself a story, and I'm happy with it. And then the next day I move on to something else. And that works for me. So you have to know what is going to make you feel good and make you feel like a productive, creative person when you're in that, I can do anything. I could do all the things, state of mind. What isn't going to help, however, is like going into a you know like a YouTube spiral. Because sometimes what happens is I think sometimes people get in that kind of hyper-creative state and they don't know what to do or they have too much they want to do. And so they just go get on social media and they don't do anything. And I think that's just going to backfire on you. You need to let that creative energy out somehow. Just figure out what's going to make you feel good and make you feel, you know, but definitely write down if you've got fifty urges, write down those fifty urges and then pick one or two. If you're in an anal retentive mode, go and do all the little pieces that you if you're not in an anal retentive mode, go and do something wildly creative so I mean there's there's different there's different things I can do when I'm writing that can you know if I'm feeling fussy and pedantic there's different I would approach my writing day differently than I would if I'm feeling kind of you know. If I'm feeling
0: fussy and pedantic, like, I'm going to be editing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's usually what, that's editing. exactly usually what happens. Editing. I mean, but one day, one day, I I got in a mood, and what I wound up plotting, I sat down and spent the afternoon plotting a story where one of the people Buck pulled out of the water during the tsunami was Hannibal Lecter. I have no explanation for myself. <laughs>
0: I am so educating. Can I read this plot?
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure.
0: Um, it's sometimes you do want to do crazy stuff and like giving your brain that outlet is really good for you. Um I think that that's also how you get a fuck ton of works in progress. And I say that as somebody who literally has a one point nine buttloads full of <laughs> works in progress. I I have over
1: a million words in progress right now.
0: That's not exaggeration.
1: That's, that's 126 gallons in case you were wondering. <laughs> cuz we did the math. But um
0: it's cuz uh, yeah, I have I have over a million words in progress. Um and uh, there was that there was that moment in my life when um uh and I do see my multiple, like I, I, I do, I probably have upwards of fifty works in progress. I don't work on every single one of them every day, obviously, but I do see it as a function of my anxiety. What do you mean? They're
1: org- That You have well, them, or that you
0: that that I have them. That I, uh, it's sometimes my anxiety will make me jump around, and because I don't. There was a time when I was very restrictive of myself, creatively. Creativity. That's not coming out. Um, there was a time when I was very restrictive of myself as a writer. And I tried to force myself into this box. And that box was labeled, you have one work in progress. Yeah. So if you want to write, you have we all one know project like that. you can write on. Because that's the professional thing to do. Because you are a professional writer. And you are not an amateur This was a lecture I would give myself, not that somebody else was giving me. Um, And it, but when I let go of that particular mindset, the result was, is that I did create a circumstance in my own brain where if what I'm working on doesn't appeal to me, I don't hesitate at all. To go pick something else up or to zero draft something new because i have all my shit organized in folders by fandom and genre and i do I, yeah and sometimes by pairing depending if, if i have multiple pairings like my harry potter folder is ridiculous it is organized i swear okay first it's in fantasy then it's in a harry potter folder and then it's separated by harry and her harry hermione and harry Draco. And also i have a folder for the art of exodus now which i think honestly should probably be in the hobbit but anyways anyways in the harry hermione folder because there are so many works in progress for that particular pairing i have them situated by post hogwarts during the war au time travel alternate dimension those are all folders and every one of those folders has at least four or five documents in it i'm not even kidding um so this OCD thing I have with organizing my fic and having an Excel spreadsheet um what it is a function of my anxiety it it's a byproduct mm-hmm. of my anxiety I would say and um because I when I was re- when I was very restrictive of myself uh, it was very stressful um I wasn't very productive um I wrote a I wrote four books last year for the Big Moxie. Each one was about it's between fifty and sixty K. I wrote two novels in April. I wrote two novels in July and August. And I wrote one giant ass novel in November last year. Um we discussed my numbers before in a different podcast. But if I was still in that mindset where I gave myself no room to breathe as a writer, I don't see how I would have ever been that productive because giving myself room to breathe and letting me letting myself have those moments where I'll zero draft six books in a week and then not write anything else. But those zero drafts, um, instead of forcing myself to work on one project until it's done, my brain doesn't work that way. And that's the same way, like, with processes, like you're, like, you have these, like, this plot documents that you pick up on, you know, some writing website, this is how you're supposed to plot a book, and every, like, you you do this, you do your character profiles, then you do your timeline, then you do your scene blocking, and there are all these different writing processes about how, how you should, and they tell you, this is how you should put a book together, not how, this is how you can put a book together. When they present to you a process on how to build, on how to build a novel, they like it's the only one that you should use instead of like having like literally hundreds different hundreds of different models about by, by which you can construct a novel so putting yourself in that box of only one work in progress for me was really restrictive and it really hurt my creativity and it was very stressful but the end result of what uh, granted i i have a stupid amount of works in progress i do I mean, I literally, I could tell you, I could give you an accurate number. Give, give me a second, because I, I keep an Excel spreadsheet, because I'm ridiculous. Okay, um, works in progress. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of mortified. And it just oh 1,993,000 words. That's how many words I have in progress. I have 1.8 million words in progress. My face is red. My face is really hot and red right now. I want you guys to know that. Um, but in my defense, I mean that 185k that just... of that is on the unspeakable plot.
1: <laughs> I would say the thing is that count doesn't surprise me. I don't think my my count's lower than that, but it's not that far off of that. Um, because, like you, Ryu, I don't try to. I don't try to shoehorn myself into making myself work on a project that isn't appealing to me or that I'm struggling with. I mean, I know there are authors who do this, who, you know, they cannot let themselves work on anything if they've got to work in, pro- you know, they have to stay with the work in progress. And I find that stifling, you know, I, I, I would never, because the thing is I do my interest in my, in, in my work, not in my work, but in in a work sometimes will fizzle for a short period of time. Um, it'll be like, okay, I need to think about this. I need to figure out, you know, whatever. There's just, there's reasons why you want to take a break. Or sometimes you just get to, you know, you need to write the Battle of the Five Armies. And it's not the easiest writing in the world. And you need a break. It is
0: not, you guys. It is not, you guys. Small Magic is currently 152,000 words, if you're curious. Um, that's, that's my first draft. I'm considering breaking up Small Magic into novellas. um... Of course, also I'm considering that big giant ass tear Warhide novel, <laughs> so there's there's that as well. Um, but what I was what I was getting at is that when I was stifling myself, I was deeply uh, unproductive. And if what I did, if, if what I do currently wasn't productive for me, and it is, I mean, obviously I am prolific. You might have noticed. I put it out there. Um, for last year, it was seven hundred sixty-eight thousand words and some change my current works in progress um that i'm working on to finish this year i'm at 234k because i am on if you're keeping up i am on the last chapter of my mass effect fic if you're interested in that i'm on the suicide mission we're gonna take out the collectors (laughs) everybody's gonna live it's gonna be great it's it's called the suicide mission in the game Um, And if you play a certain way, you get to keep all of your companions and your crew. If you want to see the universe burn, you can kill everybody, including the protagonist of the game in the suicide mission and still technically win the game. So it just depends on how you want to play. But because it's a it's a it's an RPG. um, But it's called the suicide mission. And it's the last mission for the ship. If we're doing it. Um, I've already zero drafted book two. Super excited. Um, And I have two big moxies. I have one big moxie in product process. One layer challenge. We're in original winter in progress. And one and two quantum bangs in progress. But if if I stifled myself, I wouldn't get anything done. But if I was not finishing works, I would not repeatedly start over and over and over again. Because I'm capable of adapting and realizing when something isn't working for me. And recognizing when something isn't working for you is like super important. It's the most important thing you can do for yourself is to figure out how to consistently do that. To recognize when a circumstance or situation is not working for you whether it's a plot process or a relationship or a job or a doctor, if it isn't working for you, being able to recognize that and making a change is super important.
1: Yeah. And that's one of the things that I think is very, you know, very on topic about what we're talking about tonight is um, when it comes to, because when it comes to writing or any form of creativity, there will always be somebody who tells you, this is the way it should be. This is the way you should do it. Like here I was talking about people with, you know, this is this is how you this is how you draft a novel or whatever. People will all there'll always be someone with a this is the way it should be done. What if that doesn't work for you? And for a lot of people it doesn't. And that that's really I think one of the key elements is fig- going, figuring out when something doesn't work for you. Well, what do you do then? How do you how do you pivot? How do you find the thing that is going to work for you is going to make you happy and what is going to fit in your process and make this click for you. Um, like, like, uh, like Kira, I don't hesitate to start a new project. I don't hesitate at all to sit down and pick up a, a, a blank file and start a, a new story. Um, but if I, if I start to think I'm not um, getting where I want to be in my writing now, I don't consider for me posting is not the same thing as finishing. For me, honestly, finishing is getting through the rough draft. And the unfortunate thing about the way my process works is sometimes the, it'll sit in rough draft for a long time. <laughs> it's like I'm waiting for that editing mood to strike. <laughs> um, We're not going to ask her how so many rough drafts
0: I, she has complete right now. because
1: <laughs> You don't, probably don't want to know. Um, I have one 10? that is... No, no, there's there's one right now that is base. It's even like it was even like I basically finished the final edit. Even it wasn't even rough draft. I basically finished the final edit, but I felt like it needed one small scene added, and I went and found and it was. It wasn't even really a scene. It was like just a. I needed to interject a a bit of conversation into the scene to close the loop on something that I had brought up earlier in the in the in the series, and so I had done everything to finish the story. Accept that scene, that that little bit of dialogue, right? I even went and found where that dialogue needed to go, and that was the last time I opened the file. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't even final. It wasn't even for. It wasn't even. It wasn't even the first draft. It was the final draft. Except, I need to go and put this in. So it was. It was embarrassing.
0: I it's don't embarrassing. know. I don't know what this story is. I don't know what the pairing is, but from now on until the end of time, this story will be known in my head as a little less talk and a little more action. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's it's, just um, not, it's that, might <laughs> that might even be fair. That might <laughs> even be fair. Because
0: I just got like earwormed. I might... didn't even say it. And it just kind of like popped into my
1: brain. I might... <laughs> I might even put it in the author notes. Just when I put when I post it, just put in the author notes. A little more talk and a little less action. Um, uh, just, just, just so you'll know this. This is it. This is it. But um, there are earworms. Yeah. Words. So for me, it's just. Yeah, I just need to get. I need for myself. I need to get the story done. Um, when I'm feeling like I need to get productive, but, but sometimes I also want to get them off my plate. Like I don't, I don't want them in my whip folder anymore. So sometimes I have different kind of motivators and things driving me, um, and sometimes it is kind of an anal, anal retentive OCD thing. Like I want this out of my my work in progress folder and I want it out now. I need to clean up my hard drive, um, which is a bizarre reason to post, but however, everybody's brain works differently and. That's sort of the point of all of this, right? is everybody's brain works differently. Um, you need to figure out what works for you, uh, what circumstances are going to help you feel successful with creativity and and then set yourself up for set, set yourself up for success. That is something I have I'll be honest. I have not been great about that um, in recent years. Where I know certain things stress me out, and I know they get in the way of my creativity, and I can see them coming, and I don't do enough to mitigate their impact. And that is something that I feel like I need to do better at as a creative person, Is 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 especially when I know it's coming. It's one thing if it blindsides you, right? But when you know it's going to be there, and you know it's going to be a problem, that you don't do anything about it is just... I just want to have words with myself. Past me and future me are just gonna to have to have a conversation, a big one. But also, sometimes, one of the things I would say is, whatever. Go ahead.
0: Sometimes your brain just goes off. It's a little. You have to. Sometimes you have to go on a little journey with your creative process, and I think that if you're restrictive with that journey, it, um, it can cause you a great deal of stress and. uh, it's it's okay to take your time. And it's okay if you write six books and never share a single one of them. There's this mentality in fandom. And I'm sure there are people right now listening to this podcast, maybe in this chat room or in the future, who'd be like, Why is this heifer hoarding her work when she should be putting it on her website? <laughs> she doesn't have to share it with you ever. All
1: right? Because... We've said it before. I write I think it's I think sometimes people don't get it or they think we don't mean it. I write for myself. I don't write for anybody else. So if I'm not feeling inspired, you know, if a series is becoming torture, if a fandom I'm starting to hate it, um, there are some projects out there that you know, I don't know that I'll ever pick up again because I started hating the pairing or I started hating the fandom or, you know, should anybody be forcing themselves and kind of ruining the thing they love to, for some arbitrary notion of completeness? I don't post works in progress, so this is just people not getting a sequel to a story that they want, right? I'm sorry, y'all, but I just... I, I, the Gibbs Tony Perry doesn't work for me anymore. We're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> we're just going to say it. We're going to deal with it. I mean, there are options. There are options. But, you know, when I get questions about are you going to writes a sequel to emergence. You know, I, I things I don't like to I don't like to give people absolutes. I don't like to ever give absolutes because I don't know what my mood is going to be in a year from now. I don't know where my head's going to be creatively. But what I do know is that right now the answer would be no. And not because of people bugging me about it, which they do, but because I'm just not feeling it. You know, I'm not interested in writing that. Honestly, I have three main pairings, three three significant pairings, not main, but three significant pairings in that story. And two of them I don't write, enjoy writing, and one of them I never write as a main pairing anyway. So Tony Gibbs, Jack Daniel, and then um, Jim Blair. Jim Blair I always have as a background pairing. I don't write them as a central focus. I don't mind writing Jack Daniel as a background pairing, but I don't write them central focus either. And then Tony Gibbs. I just don't, I'm not feeling it. So I got, I got, I got nowhere to hang my hat interest wise. Um, so it became a real issue. You can say, you can say, I have no
0: plans currently to do that. Yeah. (laughs) I currently have no plans to take a
1: sequel to this work. I mean, I really went on, I mean, I really enjoyed exploring Tony with some other people. And I'm very into Tony, right? I've been working a lot on the Tony um, and Ethan series uh, lately. So, you know, trying to force myself into a box because people, because this is where, this is where people expect, people who write for popularity can kind of fuck themselves up. Because if I were writing on what was my most popular story, I would be working on Emergence, right? I'm not interested in right. working on that. I just am not. So uh, it, I'm not writing to make, to be write what's going to be most popular. Um, and if I was going to write, wanted to write dragons again, I would, you know, redo, rework my world building and, and um, just start, start anew, you know, start anew. But you have to make Put yourself happy. You have to, f- no, no, I don't, I don't piano me. No, please. <laughs> um, can't. A <laughs> That's a really old joke. <laughs> it is an old joke. Yeah. It is, that is that is a blast from the past. I started... The whole piano thing... Every time somebody would send me a dragon picture for a while, I started posting like a glittery piano on my Facebook wall for a while. And we would talk about it on the podcast. People didn't get it. I'd be just like... Oh, God. Here we go. Piano.
0: Um... I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to tell the story. I used to work for a man who was a piano piano teacher. He was also a piano teacher. And every Christmas, every birthday, because he taught piano, he would get a piano. Like, he would get a little glass piano or a little wood piano. He would get these little knickknacks of pianos every single year. He had hundreds of them, and he would give them away. He would donate them and stuff. Um, And everybody in his life would give him a piano. And one day he was complaining about always getting pianos for Christmas. Um, I got him cookies. Uh, He was really thrilled (laughs) to get to get cookies. I was so tempted to find a piano cookie cutter, but I didn't want to. Anyways, cookies. He got cookies for me. But one of the people who worked for us got him this really beautiful blown glass piano and he looked at me and I looked at him we just had this whole conversation with our eyes and so there came a point where Jilly was getting pianoed all the time
1: (laughs) only in the form of
0: dragon pictures and I understand this because you would not believe how many pieces pictures I got of jewelry when I was writing ties that bind that could be Perceived to be dress collars in the ties
1: that bind world, a collar. Yeah. Oh, the threads on Facebook were endless. It was if I felt it felt like at least once or twice a week there was a thread on Facebook about tagging you, asking you what you thought of this, that, or the other as, this as a collar or whatever. And-
0: yeah. It was n- never ending. So we got pianoed a lot, <laughs> so it became a thing being pianoed.
1: It's like yeah, oh. Well, <clears throat> yeah. So, and the funny thing, and the thing is, people. There was this weird thing is people make an assumption about what they read. So people assume I'm really <laughs> dragons. I remember that? <laughs> I picked dragons. I remember the bondage dragons. My, <laughs> at, at, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, the bondage dragons. Right. The bondage dragons were funny. <laughs> but I um. You also sent me a dragon fuck fucking a hatchback. So, you know, at least that, that was funny. <laughs> Was that a dinosaur? Um,
0: was it a dragon?
1: That was something a dragon. <laughs> that was a dragon. Dragon, fucking ahead. Please hatchback. don't show it. Yeah, it yeah, was very it energetic. Was, it was.
0: Oh no, no, no! There's no a difference sh- between fan art and what was happening to
1: us. No, no. This is just. This was just. This was just random pictures of dragons constantly. I I appreciate art, but just constantly getting bombarded with pictures of dragons and the thing is is like I said I picked dragons for the series because they're my sister's favorite mythical animal not because they're mine <laughs> so just getting <laughs> constantly bombarded with pictures of dragons I was like okay, okay. and if she means bombarded sometimes it would be go.
0: 20 or 30 images a day because one person oh, would yeah, do it, it and it would show up on her
1: Facebook wall and then it would be like an avalanche yeah. What about this and pictures. this? And people tag, people would tag me on everything. They'd be like a dragon sculpture. This person, this person did a topiary shaped like a dragon. I'd be like, what? What am I gonna do with a dragon topiary? Why do I fucking care about dragon, dragon bushes? It's a bush. <laughs> it's a bush. So, so yeah, it, it was a whole mood. What's the collective noun for dragons? Um. There's there's a variety. There's Wing, there's Flight, um, there's uh I used Wing and Emergence because some of the other there's another one I'm I'm there's one that's specific from Dragon from one of the big fantasy novels I'm blanking on it. That I chose not Pern. to use. Um Yeah. There I think it's from Pern, but there's there's one there was one that was um that because it was so associated with um <coughs> I'm not sure I would have minded that, though. That would have been kind of great. If people had started sending me a bunch of Grand Sequoias, <laughs> I'd have been like, yeah, all right. I mean, trees are trees
0: are cool. <laughs> I love getting pictures of cool trees.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, no. Please don't email me pictures of trees.
1: And now i got to look up what that group of dragons is called, because... But I've I've heard wing and flight both very commonly. Um, there, thunder comes up. That wasn't what it was <laughs> yeah, called. Um, there's a there's a name specific. Weir. There you go. Jeep. Yeah, keep got it. A weird. Thank you. A weird. Thank you. Uh, I think that's specific to a, to a fantasy series, and so I decided not to use to use it because I didn't want if it to Ladyholder hadn't to abandoned make this us, association.
0: We'd know. She she'd have been able to tell us. Yeah, so I use wing. Name actually comes I, I just use days.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> the Lord holder and the Lady holder. So, I I just chose wing mm-hmm. arbitrarily as as my collective noun. I mean, nothing is. I think crows have it have it made on that front. Um, murder. Yeah, everything else is just going to be lacking.
0: Parliament of Alice is pretty cool, but murder, that's just amazing. <laughs> A murder of crows. <laughs> but I think the, the important thing to remember when it comes to people, when when it comes to your own neurodivergence, is that just like everything else in your life is not one size fits all. Like what works for someone, what, what works for me might not work for you. And maybe you do need the focus of a single project, or maybe you allow yourself two projects. Um or maybe you need the structure of a challenge environment. Um, Maybe a challenge environment is really deeply uncomfortable for you and the thought of participating in like rough trade or the quantum bang is awful to you. And that is perfectly okay. I think understanding and knowing your limits and knowing how to manage your own expectations around your productivity and your creativity is what's super important and trying things out to see what works and to not be afraid to set something aside if it doesn't work because when I was younger sometimes I would get in this mentality of well this is supposed to work so I'm going to keep doing it until it works
1: no when in doubt bully yourself that's not <laughs>
0: right <laughs> but I was in that mindset for years it was like this is this is supposed to work so I'm going to do it until it works because it's supposed to work, and I w- I would get you know really wrapped up in it and not give and not give myself a break, and you have to be able to give yourself a break.
1: Mm-hmm. It is very important. And also recognize, recognize and accept, a- just accept ahead of time. You've if if you've just stumbled into a creative space that is new for you, um. And you're 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 adapting to what that looks like and how to be productive in it, except that as your life moves on and life circumstances change, there are sometimes major events that change the way you interact creatively with your creative process. Um, I won't get get too deep into it, but I know because I don't want to get it. we didn't just mention this stuff as being potentially brought up, so I don't want to get deep and potentially trigger people. But nine one one. Nine, nine, one, nine, eleven, 911 um, really changed the way I wrote actually because I had a real it was a real interruption in my writing process for a long time. Um, and and there's a lot of reasons for that which could be it's whole, a whole podcast about how when your life circumstances change and your perception of your place in the world alters that it can really affect your creativity. Um, so there's that um, the pandemic also made a significant, alteration on on how I perceive myself creatively and how I work function creatively and when I go through some of these big big things in life I have to trying to stay rigid into the process that worked for me in the past could be really detrimental so just because something works for you now doesn't mean that it will always work it could stop working for a while and you have to change or you have to pivot And you need to give yourself a little bit of grace and allow that to happen. Um, Again, I'm not going to go too deep on this one as well. Uh, I this for the last couple years. um, I've brought this up on the podcast before. Um, I was diagnosed with a form of chronic cancer, but it's also progressive. uh, About a year, a year and a half ago now, something like that. And so Mm -hmm. that has also altered my life tremendously. And it is when your life changes, whether it's from external forces or internal forces, it is going to affect you creatively. And I am still trying to find my footing around, around that, you know, around um, writing. I, things are just different for me mentally in my head. Uh, the way that, that has altered things for me and the way things have changed for me is a little bit hard to articulate at times. Um, even to myself, but so I'm still trying to kind of figure out what my, my normal, my new normal is since, since that change. So you got to, you've got to be, but I'm, I accept that this is what writing is like, what being creative is like It's that this creative outlet is very important to me. And so I also understand that what worked, you know, a year ago or two years ago may not work today and that I may have to figure out a, a different way to exist as a creative person. The uh, same thing happened with the pandemic. I think a lot of people were really kind of flummoxed about why am I struggling to write? I mean, we had whole big discussions about why am I struggling to write since the pandemic? And even though things are getting closer to back to normal and for a lot of people, in a lot of respects, it doesn't mean that people's create creatively, people are completely back to normal. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but I I don't go to the right in the coffee shop anymore. Still, that hasn't. I haven't. And I that haven't, was a big no. Com- no. That that was a big component of my what I need to when I, cause I there was like a big component of I need to change my point of view. I need to change my perspective. I need to kind of get out of my head. And I would go to the coffee shop and I would write for a little while. And sometimes just that change of scenery would really help. I have not done that in literally years now. And that was a big, that, that kind of emotional retreat was a big deal for me. And so I'm not quite sure what to do with myself sometimes. It's like, well, what do I do now? I haven't what
0: is been the... to the library either.
1: And I used to go to the library once a month. Yeah, so we're all kind of like in this, hmm, so don't discount because sometimes it seems like it might be small. Uh, there's also the element of uh, maybe your living circumstances change. Maybe somebody moved in with you or you moved in with somebody that you have not lived with before. And it's created a, a, a person you're not used to having around. Or sometimes even just the noise profile of where you are has altered. These things all can affect you creatively. And trying to force yourself into a little box... Um, is 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 counterproductive? It's not productive. My husband
0: stayed home. My husband stayed home for a year. Y'all, y'all might have remembered when I was talking about how he's in my house. You know, technically he lives here too, but he used to go. You know, he would be at work right, and I would have these eight, sometimes ten hours, um, in the house by myself. Um, and then suddenly he was in my space twenty four seven for a whole fucking year. But somewhere along that whole fucking year, I got used to it. So he's been back at work you know for a while now and it's really weird to have him not be here also another thing i've noticed since the pandemic is that not a single person in my life fusses at me for staying home they get it now that i can be entertained at home because they figured out how to entertain themselves at home during this pandemic and so now when i can say oh no i'm fine i'm just gonna stay home and they'll be like yeah i get it Because they also learned to entertain themselves at home, and they figured out they don't need to go spend eighty, hundred bucks at the mall or whatever to entertain themselves anymore. They they figured it out what we all knew all along. You can entertain yourself. A movie came out recently yes, that my husband can. and I wanted to watch, and we were like, "It's only in the theaters, right? We can't get it. We can't get it on you know HBO or Disney or whatever." and we looked at each other that is it now before the pandemic that is just fucked up we now. would have been we would have been before the pandemic we would have been in line to get tickets the first day i waited in line 4 hours to get tickets for the one of the star wars movies when i think episode 2 when it came out we didn't know better we know better now i mean i don't i'm not a star i'm not an episode hater i loved all the star wars movies I, i'm not even going to go there i mean i love them for what they are i i, I had no expectations of greatness and so I wasn't disappointed, okay? Um, but this particular movie, it's the second Avatar movie, um, we really loved the first one. We wanted to see the second one. But we just, like, looked at each other and both just decided on the spot that we were absolutely not going to go to the theater to see this movie. Hell no. we were willing to wait until it comes out <laughs> on streaming because, no. <laughs> I, it's unfortunate because we're not the only ones that have done this, in this and that movie is not doing well um, and I think it is a direct result of the pandemic not so much the content itself but because people got used to being able to watch that shit at home and they don't mind yes. waiting because I don't mind waiting I am perfectly willing to wait but there was a time where I'd have been like no I can't wait what if somebody spoils it for me and now I'm like if someone spoils it for me I'm going to cuss them out <laughs> and then move on <laughs>
1: yeah exactly and then move on it's like nothing is gonna that's that's the end of it i i have the same thing with avatar i mean you cannot imagine for me i just i was just in canada for the holidays it's the first time i've been on a plane since the pandemic the mental stress of being that close to people and i had thought you know i'd had this like maybe maybe we'll go to the movie theaters i was like no after being on a plane, I was like, and then in an airport. I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going to do something that uh, that's not basically compulsory, right? Like, there's no way for... It's not exactly easy to get to Canada, you know, without getting on a plane these days. So, I mean, I could drive, but I don't want to. I don't want to drive over the Rockies in the winter. Right. Would you? At some point, you just put your N95 no, it's on. a good time. On just... It doesn't
0: even sound a good time. So... But I'm not sure I' got but, on a plane either i I just i don't think I could have you're very brave uh,
1: the mental stress was I have to say the mental stress was pretty intense about being on a plane um it i did not enjoy do not recommend that mental stress at all um because nobody i mean there were on our entire flight there were three people wearing a mask, and two of them were us, <laughs> so I was like Holy I find that so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. I'm I said just, the most so awful thing to... to
0: somebody the other day. And I I didn't mean to say it. But um, I was, I forget where I was. But uh, I was wearing a mask. And she said, this woman, she said snotty. Well, should I put on a mask for you. I said, I don't care if you get a disease. And <laughs> the moment it came out of my mouth, I was like, girl, did you just say that? <laughs> just... But she was so snotty about having to wear a mask for me. Meanwhile, I got my shit on. I have a big, for you, I have a big N95, 94, like, surgical plastic, uh, rebreather mask thing that I got off of medical website, which I wear in some places because people, you know, got diseases. And, um, and, and honestly, the pandemic was not good for my OCD. I'm going to be perfectly honest about it. And my germ phobia is out of control. Um. And I'm managing it the best I can, but I still got issues anyway. And her face was priceless. Honestly, she was so shocked. And I just kept walking, because I was like, fuck you. For She was like, should I have to wear a mask for you? And this smart-ass response came out of my mouth before I could even help myself. Now, I'm Southern, so that happens. But, I, I mean, honestly, I don't care what happens to her. I don't even know her. She just
1: got in my business. I don't e- I mean. Well, I don't care because she doesn't care about herself, right? If she cared about what she was going right. to catch, she should, she should be wearing a mask. Because
0: here's the thing. I don't wear a mask for me. I wear a mask for other people. That's the whole point of wearing the mask. You're wearing it for other people. I, I wear mine for my husband, to be perfectly frank, because um, I do worry that I'm going to bring something home to him. So I don't leave my house often. I do have some issues of my own. I have, you know, I have diabetes, fibromyalgia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Probably lupus. Who knows? One day they're going to tell me it, it'll be there. It'll either be Hashimoto's or it'll be lupus. One of the two. You know, that's where everything points. It could be psoriatic. Like, what was it? Psoriatic. Psoriatic. Arthritis, so, psoriatic psoriatic arthritis, it's, yeah, psoriatic. That yeah, one, yeah, that's on the list too. Um, that one, yeah. Uh, it's like a multiple choice question that I don't want answered. I mean, honestly, yes, I do kind of want it answered, then i I might have a treatment plan. But also, I don't want the answer because none of the answers are good. <laughs> if that makes sense. So I do wear a mask. I'll probably wear a mask the rest of my life, to be perfectly frank. But I don't need somebody's commentary. Isn't that the damn truth?
1: I do get tired about but hearing but you. And the, and I, I don't want to harp stuff... on the,
0: the pandemic thing. But 50 people a day are still dying of COVID in the United States. 50 people a day are dying of COVID in the United States. And she wants to know if I want her to wear a mask for me. Motherfucker, wear it for your family. Wear it for your husband for your kids. For your dog, because you can give your dog COVID too. I just, oh.
1: I, and that's, the, that's I think that's one, of, that's one of the things that's hard about it when it's or you your creative yeah. space. And and we're talking about your mental health and your creative space and all of this jazz, right? Is that this stuff can all start to intrude. Um, you you know, you think you're going to write and you go out to do something or whatever. And somebody's a dickhead about, or about wearing a mask at the hospital um you know where there are required (laughs) by law (laughs) yeah where it's required by law in my state and um where there are people who are dying you know so it's and then you get frustrated and aggravated it's like how do you protect your your creative space when when the world is just full of fucking douchebags And there's just, I don't, you know, there's not a lot of easy answers to that, except, you know, be as prepared as you can be for the fact that these things are going to happen. They are absolutely, I wish I could say they aren't going to happen, but they're going to, it's going to happen. Yeah. I, you know, I was at the, I was at the, uh, um, well, I was at the oncologist yesterday and, um. These people, they hand us a mask at the hospital, the, the entrance I went in, they hand you a mask when you walk in and they don't police you putting it on but if you don't have a mask on, they actually you can't even come in in your own mask at, at our hospital, you have to wear a hospital provided mask. And they're part of their rationales because they don't know how people will wear their masks into oblivion, right. And so. Th- they lose all effectiveness. So that you have to take your mask off and put their mask on. So the people who walked in at the same time as me, and I'm used to this. So I have my mask on already, but I take mine off and I accept the mask from the person at the door and I walk in and they accepted the mask from the people at the door. And we got in the same elevator and they hung their masks from the elevator railing, gave each other a, a, a look, hung their masks from the elevator railing, got out and walked into the clinic and then when they were given a hard time they got really pissed off when they were immediately told they had to put a mask on. I'm like, "What if this is this a hospital? What is the fuck is the matter with you? These are the specialty clinics for the hospital, right? This is not like, you know, I hate people." And so just just that that brain space of being around people like that, you know, I mean, it's hard to hold on to your creative energy, whatever it was. Um when you go out and you have to deal with people like that. It's like, because nobody in here wants. It's not just like, it, it's because like, they're dumb. The thing is, the oncology clinic required masks before COVID. So, I hate people. I really do. But Anyway, I mean, that's a kind you know, of tangent, but.
0: A necessary one, because honestly, sometimes a stupid person can ruin your whole fucking day and make it impossible to write. And that would happen, like, when I'd be at the coffee shop. I, there used to be, this woman came in. She, she oh, I hated her. Um, fucking hated her. She would order this really complicated coffee. Um, like she was at Starbucks, but it wasn't a fucking Starbucks. And um, would get bent because they didn't have all of the um, particular things that Starbucks has to make this particular drink that she would want. Um, and one day, I was I was having a very difficult moment in my ability to write. And I'm sitting there, and you know I had a reputation in this coffee shop. It devastates me that that, that they closed during the pandemic permanently. Um, anyway, I'm sitting there, Aww. and finally, I just, I lost it. I said, oh my God, you stupid bitch, go to Starbucks! And that was <laughs> and all was she just, wrote. It was... <laughs> and everybody got really quiet, and she turned around and walked out the door. And I turned to the girl. I said, I am so sorry. I will pay for whatever she was supposed to pay for. (laughs) She goes, oh, no, you won't. (laughs) She brought me a cookie. Because I just said what everybody was thinking. (laughs) I did not mean to scream it at her. I was just, sometimes you have that moment, right? I had that moment. And that woman was the... I was, and then I couldn't write, so I just sat there and fumed the rest of the rest of the afternoon. Ate my cookie, <laughs> had like four cups of coffee because they kept giving me coffee.
1: They're going. She, she does not need any more coffee. <laughs> Give her some more coffee. <laughs> is, the, is she
0: worse or better with coffee? Is it, it, it so? It's a thing, you know. But it was. Yeah, I mean, sometimes. sometimes you go off. You go off. I should yeah. have gone home. But
1: whatever, what, whatever is going on with your creative space, whatever, whether whatever drives whatever you, um, whether you have to guard yourself because of ADHD issues, or whether you've got depression or anxiety issues, you have to know and understand you, and you have to know and understand your creative energy, and you have to know and understand how you function and what's going to help you function well. And then you have to really set yourself up to succeed, <laughs> which sounds, which sounds trite. And it's not easy to do. Cause that's the problem with things that sound trite is they sound like you're just going to, you're just going to do it, set yourself up for success. Um, it sounds so simple uh, when I know <laughs> just do that it's it. not just do it. It's like, it's like Nike. Um, and I know it's not that simple. I believe me. I do know that it is not, it's just, it's not point and click. Um oh, but there is ways. a process and the per I'd be Yeah, very there is productive. this person who asked right. The person who asked the question um has, has clearly gotten to the point where they have figured out what the problems are. Um, they have figured out what they need medication wise or treatment wise. Um, and now they're trying to figure out how to be a creative person within this new framework and that that is what happens when you get help when you get treatment, whether it's for an illness or whether it's for um, a physical illness or mental health issue or whether it's for just your brain is not wired the way that is typical. When you get the help that you need, you have to figure out what, you look like in your new in the, in this new space that you've created for yourself and it's an opportunity don't look at it as something negative it's an opportunity because the goal of course is that things will be better when you've done all this work right you're going to you're going to put all this time and energy into to figuring out what this new creative you looks like and that it's going to be easier better whatever more productive something is going to change in a way that you find um, happy making and that you make yourself happy with this new this new you so and I think that's what this is all about is how to and there's it's hard to give specific tips right because everybody is different and I think that's one of the things that is really key to the discussion topic is everybody is different. You can't even really generalize writers from artists, from um, craft crafters to, you know, to art art, or people who are artisans. You can't even general. It's hard to even generalize there because everybody's creative space and every creative energy is so different. However, what is, I think one thing that's very common for a lot of these people is that what is a stumbling block for their creative energy are the kinds of problems we've been talking about. And I think that um, we didn't talk a lot about physical ailments, but they can be just as much a stumbling block to creativity as um, the kind of mental issues the mental health issues that we've talked about tonight. So.
0: Oh yeah. Physical pain. um, uh, Hormones. Seriously. One of the things that really helped me was I journaled for a while. Maybe like six months, and I went. I I kept track of my mood, my period, um, the medication I was taking, my you know what I enjoyed that day, what I hated that day, you know, and it really helped me figure out where I was um, slumping, like creatively. But it also helped me figure out what was dragging me down. Emotionally outside of my creative process. Uh, and I also catch up with things like so and so called, I didn't want to answer the phone. I'm serious. Like, one of the things that you will figure out is if there's somebody toxic in your life, when the phone rings and it's them, you get this sense of dread and you don't want to answer the phone because you know whatever's is on the other reason. end of it is going to be, it's going to make you miserable. And it did. I mean, there was this person making me absolutely miserable every time they called. To the point where I I, I would just, I would turn my phone over and not even look at it. Um,
1: and that sense of dread you know, is there for a reason. We, we all had that one friend that will,
0: yeah. We all have that one friend that will trauma dump on you every once in a while. Mhm. But that's all she did. And there was never room for me to talk about what was going on with me. It was all her, 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 her. Yeah. Um, And so, journaling helped me figure out that not only did I have this person in my life who was making me absolutely motherfucking miserable, but I also was having these big um, issues with hormone swings. I I was swinging really severely during my menstrual cycle. Uh, like, Like, ten days before my period, I was so miserable I couldn't write. Two days before my period, I couldn't sleep. I would be up 24 to 48 hours every month before my period started. And I hadn't been paying attention. I mean, I have, I've, I've bowed insomnia all my life. But up until that point, I hadn't recognized that my biggest moments of insomnia were actually related to my menstrual cycle. That my body would keep me up for two days straight before my period actually started. But it was getting ready for Lucifer. I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Fair, fair, but yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> I was gearing up for war or something. I don't know. I was stupid alert, and um, so journaling really helped me. It might help you. It might not. But being really honest in your journaling, it's also beneficial. Another thing that is all is don't keep your journal in a situation where someone else might read it, because if it, if you have, if someone else has access to it. You might not be honest, so like keep it online, put it in an email, like an email that or you read. Put it in your phone, put it in a situation where no one else can see it but you, because if someone can pick it up and read it, you might not be honest with yourself, because you'll be worried about them seeing it too. If if that makes any sense, um, <coughs> yeah. yeah like your parents are definitely you're, you're going,
1: shit. yeah. And you just, your parents. Your be, sister, it's one of those your, things that doesn't help you. Your wife. It doesn't help you to be dishonest. Um, so if you're in a situation where you feel like that because there's somebody around you that you can't trust, that you all you can do is, is be dishonest, then you need to find another solution.
0: There's got to be a better way. And also evaluate how much stress they're putting on you. But I think you'd be surprised how much stress you're under. That is related to that person you cannot trust. Whether it be a sibling or a friend or a partner or a parent. And when you're around somebody that you fundamentally don't trust, that is a stress of its own.
1: Even when you're just interacting... Honestly, even if you're just interacting with somebody you don't trust in an online circumstance. If you if it's constant, um, you can be putting a tremendous amount of mental stress on yourself that can start to affect you creatively. That's why it's very important that you we 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 kind of we talk about you know, you know we guard guard our mind palace, but that's not actually not that much of a joke. you have to sometimes just say no to certain circumstances so that you can be mentally healthy for yourself creatively and there's nothing wrong with that people act like you're doing something wrong you are not you are absolutely taking care of yourself and that's absolutely what you should be doing
0: you're about to can if they if they don't like it punishment.
1: they punishment. That's right. If they don't like it, they can suck Kira's dick from the back,
0: from the back, one hundred percent.
1: It's funny how um, too much creative energy um, and not enough creative energy can have the same almost stall point, and in a way, in a way, sometimes the same remedy. Um, a little organization never is... hurt
0: anything. But what's that thing? What was that, that, that thing you say about work?
1: Action precedes motivation. Oh, but the... Oh, act, yeah, action precedes motivation, yeah. Sometimes people look to be, or they want to be, they want to find this external thing that is going to suddenly motivate them or spark spark this thing to happen, that this masterpiece will suddenly be delivered to their desktop without any a further action on their part other than just, I don't know, creative energy. But that is not really the way it works. Um usually the more you do uh the more you're motivated to do you do first and then you're motivated to do more and that's just kind of that's pretty typical that's pretty typical of the way it works so sometimes even if you don't feel like it go ahead and try doing it anyway even if it's just for 5 minutes or 10 minutes just try what is that um There's actually whole books. There's multiple books about how people make life-altering changes by just changing things like in two or three minutes a day. They just alter their behavior in tiny, 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 tiny increments because the brain can actually, and this is speaking actually to the very on-topic about neurodivergence and the way the brain operates, abrupt change, big change can very much look to the brain is always negative the brain it as a stress so you may be telling yourself it's positive it doesn't mean your brain is gonna process this big change you've given it as positive so your brain may be pumping out stress hormones even though you think you've done something positive for yourself because it may have been too big and then you get this stress crash and you're left with this aftermath and you go, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Well, maybe it was a great idea, but maybe you just need to take it in smaller pieces. Maybe instead of doing this one big enormous change and changing your whole routine in one day, maybe you need to change five minutes of your routine, change a tiny bit of your routine that is not going to shock your brain into releasing stress hormones. And that's that's the kind of change you want to introduce into your system is introduce it in a way that your brain can adapt to it and not traumatize yourself with it. Because even if you tell yourself it's good, your brain can react negatively. And there's, like I said, there's books about this, um, about how the brain can react negatively to even positive change. And that's one of the reasons why they find small incremental change can be more lasting than big abrupt change. And it's not just about for the things you might think are obvious, but it, it's about in all things, changing working habits, interactions and families about, sorry, I just whacked my headset. Um, yeah, micro habits, uh, doing little tiny micro adjustments can net you a much bigger benefit and help you change things. In the long haul and help with building that motivation to do more whereas if you try to do something big and abrupt even if you go wow that was great you might still be struggling later with stress crash your brain going that was shocking and i didn't like it it's basically you stimulate well, the amygdala one thing they learned... and your brain is go ahead they learned what no one of
0: the, what what the things that they that they learned over time is that uh, stress, good and bad stress, often will impact you physically and mentally the same way. Mm-hmm. And that is especially true, uh, like physical stress, good stress, bad stress. Sometimes, like, figure out what kind of stress responder you are. Some people, res- like, have, like, uh, stomach issues. There can be heart issues. There can be brain issues. If, if you are prone to headaches when you get stressed... That's that's how your body is processing stress if you're prone to getting sick to your stomach or having, you know, I'm sorry, indigestion or diarrhea when you're stressed out or upset this is your body responding to the stress and it can be good stress or bad stress and your body's still doing this thing to you you know if you get heart pains when you get really upset you, your heart is responding to the stress but you could also get those pains if you got really excited because something amazing happened to you because your body is responding to this outside stimulus and processing it as stress which is stress on your body um, on your mind, on your emotions. So it's knowing how your body and mind are going to respond to various events can help you manage those events. So for me, learning that um, my stomach is where I get hit with the stress. Um, I developed an ulcer, which is a huge-ass stress response. Because <laughs> you know, just... I my, my stomach it, it... would get so agitated. All the time. It's almost. And I developed an ulcer. It's almost a cliche.
1: Right. I mean, that's like, in a way, that is like, if you were writing somebody having the cliche stress response, they'd get an ulcer. But it's serious. It is dead serious Mm -hmm. when your body is so stressed that it starts eating its stomach lining. Right.
0: Right. That's what an ulcer is. I mean, it's not like, it's so, yeah. But also, my my gallbladder hated me. So that was probably a factor as well. I'll <laughs> just, just put that out there, my cold butter just hated me. Um, but knowing how your brain knowing how your body responds to stress, both good and bad is very, very helpful because it can help you mitigate. I also get migraines. I get m- most of mine are hormone related. I'm gonna get my worst migraine any time of the year before before my period starts. In fact, I just came out of a cluster where I had migraines for basically three days straight. Um I took six Imatrex over a period of four days. I should have gone to the I should have gone to the emergency room and got a shot I just I, I should have gave it in, but I haven't actually gone to the emergency room since the pandemic started because I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there I don't want to do it so now I'm out of immatrex <laughs> I have a prescription yeah, but you can take like what two or three a day Imatrex. I
1: oh, had a big um, dose. You can. It's not great. I mean, my doctor doesn't want me taking my Emitrex more than two or three times a month. But yes, I'm not supposed to exceed 200, 200
0: milligrams in 24 hours. So I'm not supposed to take more than 200 milligrams in 24 hours, and my pills are 50.
1: Oh, my pill. I I I usually take the spray. Um, but my pills are hundred. So. When I when I have so, to go to the pills. I, I have to some hundreds pills. too,
0: but I took the fifties. I have a prescription for hundreds from my new doctor, but my previous doctor gave me fifties, so I filled the wrong prescription. So I still had the fifties. But either way, I took six in four days.
1: Yeah, I I I'm, I tend I to my, with my it, st- he- headaches are my my stress response are definitely headaches. Um, headaches and muscle tension. Um, but I also have an autoimmune condition. So my immune system can go into hyperdrive when I've been stressed out, which is suboptimal. Then she's one big giant you know, hive. I, <laughs> yeah. Hive or, um, you know, my immune system is just can turn into a toxic soup. Right. And start turning on my own body, which is not great. Uh, so it it's really important. She's allergic to, to her own hair. Right. But I mean, the funny thing is when I go to the, the, uh, I had to change rheumatologist because I need a rheumatologist that works very closely with my oncologist, and there actually happens to be a rheumatologist in my you know very that, that actually is almost in the almost in the same practice as my oncologist. They sort of share a building office or something. I don't know. You anyway, know, he he's a good guy. I like him, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that like rheumatology took precedence, right? And now I kind of go and he goes. I'm going to let oncology take the lead on this. He said, normally I would do it this way. He said, but we're going to let them decide. <laughs> so it's, you There's know, no when play. I go in and I say I'm having this problem. <laughs> yeah, I go in and I say I'm having this problem. Oh. He goes, well, let's, let's see what oncology thinks. Oh. I'm like, they're not going to have an opinion on this. He goes, yeah, but they're in the driver's seat. I'm like, ugh, whatever, dude. But yeah, stress has a has a. Pre- Really particular um, impact on on a lot of people, and if you if you're prone to anxiety issues, stress is going to have a significant impact on you too. Um, The brain is the brain is the brain. completely out of control. Yeah, you can't decouple um, the brain, you know, stress reactions from the brain. That that's it's all it's all related.
0: So knowing your triggers, whether it be environmental or you know people. is, is really important to, to help manage your stress, manage your anxiety, um, manage your creative cycle.
1: We had somebody um, on the server. We did, we did kind of, don't, we won't go into it because it's kind of, it's not something we, we don't usually talk too much about when we have problems with people on the server, but we did have somebody who basically I would say was causing massive stress to the entire mod team for months. And I do mean months on end. Um, That is not actually a healthy circumstance for anybody um, on on the anxiety, on the mental health front, and certainly not on the uh, creative front, to be in a situation where you're interacting with somebody that you just, like, really, this is where we're at? I mean, their
0: negative social potency was right up there around a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. And there comes a moment when, with a person like that, it becomes bitch eating crackers because everything they do
1: is the worst thing they've ever done. Like, can you believe that heifer ordered pizza for lunch? It's like, okay. And we'd have to take turns being rational because it's like, it's all right. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. She can eat pizza. (laughs) Whose turn is it to be sane today?
0: It's a good thing there were a lot of us. (laughs) I'm just saying. um, Here's the thing about running a large server like Crossroads. Is that you want to be fair. You want to um, be inclusive. And you don't want to... Because sometimes people, their personalities just don't fit your aesthetic. (laughs) And you don't like them for no particular reason. But you don't want to be irrational and cruel about it, right? But then... When nobody you know likes them, you're like, Maybe it's not me <laughs> maybe they're an asshole.
1: They're an asshole. And so Yeah, they were definitely like an asshole.
0: They yeah, they were an asshole. Um, but you have to like like I said, I, I try to be very fair on crossroads and I try to um be inclusive and um not be uh not, not be... make it about personal preference.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. So, you know, so sometimes you wind up in a stressful situation, um, because you don't have, gr- basically this is going to sound weird, but you don't have grounds to get yourself out of the stressful situation. It's like, it's like that awful uncle. It's like, do I have grounds for getting rid of that awful uncle? No, not yet. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting.
0: Not yet. Give me Eventually, a reason, he's motherfucker. Do give
1: me a reason. Eventually he's going to do or say something and I'm going to, that's going to be it. That's going to be on. But sometimes you and do. You have to wait this for it. you. You have did to fuck around and find out. They did. They finally pushed it too far, but <laughs> and we were relieved. We're like, yes, yes, yes. Um, they fucked up. <laughs> Happy day. But that's something you have to <laughs> that's just so rude. <laughs> it is terrible. But we um... are
0: were like, thank you so much for being an asshole in this very moment. We love you
1: for it. Bye. <laughs> But you have to find where your stress points are and and figure out how to mitigate them. Um, Good and bad, you know, good and bad. Because also sometimes good things are happening and they're messing with your ability to be creative. Like, hey, I'm having a great time with the 15 family members that are visiting. But guess what? Nobody is creative with 15 family members visiting. Nobody. Unless you're just hiding I from all of them. I wouldn't have
0: 15 people in my house. I know you wouldn't. I am not that person. I don't... Because she I'd, was I'd raised like, right. you need to no. go. You don't gotta go... You don't gotta go home. But you can't stay here. No, I mean it. Bye. Nobody in my family or amongst my friend groups like in Space are under the assumption that they can come to my house uninvited. And nor are they under the, under the assumption that they would be allowed to spend the night in my home. I don't know. <laughs> Kira, Kira when I haven't watched my sister's with kids the, in the, the past, I went to her house.
1: <laughs> all right. Kira, Kira knows the B word and she knows it. Well, boundaries hmm. are your friend. Learn them, get familiar. You need them. They're very, very important. They're super important. Anyway, I'm gonna go back to the original question and see if there's any aspect of it because there's some aspects of it that aren't don't really aren't okay. really a question for the podcast but let's we'll see if we missed anything about um I want to finish something any tips, I am serious about neuro- journaling for- though yeah go ahead. okay so there was one specific question was they want to be able to finish something any tips for neurodivergent creators who have to deal with with this kind of thing um, And we come, that comes, I think that comes back to, it depends upon the nature of your neurodivergence because everybody is, and everybody's brain is wired differently. And even if, even, if, even within the same group of people, the same type of issue are going to have different ways of handling things. So not everybody with ADHD is going to have the same creative issues. So I do think one of the things that is often under, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. What I'll say is that
0: sometimes not being able to finish something isn't a product of your neurodivergence. Yeah. So don't automatically assume that you can't finish something because you have ADHD or because you are on the spectrum or because you have depression. It could just be your process as a writer. You need to look at your process to see if you're having a breakdown in what you
1: do and how you do it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that we don't talk about a lot because I think in a little bit it's almost like a taboo topic in some ways is there is an element of um, what are what are your disciplines around writing or around creating what are your creative disciplines and I mean discipline in the good way like where are you giving yourself structure and where are you giving yourself boundaries and where are you giving yourself you know, what, what does that look like for you as an individual? Um, When you, when you want to get something done, what are you, what is your, what do your disciplines look like? And we talk a lot about giving yourself, not being too hard on yourself. We talk a lot because I said, fine, writers tend to be pretty hard on themselves. So we don't dig in this too much, but sometimes when I talk to people, I want to go, well, at what point did you sit down and just try to get it done? Oh, and then the answer sometimes is that they haven't. They haven't actually sat down in front of the computer and actually tried to work on it because they hadn't felt like it yet. I have a really hard time with that mentality. They're waiting for, to, they're waiting to feel like it. Um, and I'm not saying that's the problem with the person who's asking, but sometimes there is an element of just, it's time to sit down and, and, and get to work. You know, you, if you want to get something done, sometimes you have to sit down and get something done. It's just a matter of do it. And you aren't going to be able to do it if you aren't in the environment in which you can do it. (laughs) I mean, it seems pretty simple to me and straightforward that if somebody wants to get something accomplished, that the best way to do it is to at least sit down and try. But I talk to a shocking number of people who don't take that step, who don't who don't put forward the initiative of actually trying. They just talk a lot about how they don't feel like it.
0: And I want to put out a little thing here. Um, While I am not accusing a single person who's listening to this of doing this, I will say that for me, um, over the years, I have never allowed myself to use my depression or my OCD or any other issue I might have you know, with anxiety as an excuse for my behavior. My clinical depression is the reason I feel the way I do. My anxiety is the reason I feel the way I do. My OCD is the reason that my anxiety gets so bad. And the reason my clinical depression can get completely out of whack. But I never say I didn't go to the store because I was depressed. This is my personal journey with depression. I say simply, I didn't want to go to the store because that's the truth. (laughs) Now, is it the truth because my clinical depression made me so sad I wanted to cry and, you know, just crawl in my bed and never get out of it? Yes, but if I had truly wanted to go to the fucking store, I would have gotten up and gone to the fucking store. This is just my personal journey with my depression and, and how I am a little, sometimes I'm a little harsh with myself because if I don't, I'll have 400 pairs of underwear. That was my dig because I've been there. I, if We're talking about that is that um, sometimes when you're really depressed, it is more feasible to go buy new clothes than to wash the clothes you've got. I'm not even kidding. It is more reasonable to go to the store and buy yourself new clothes than it is to wash the clothes that you have in your house. And I don't know why.
1: <laughs> but... Nope, it's true. I mean it was from my de- it was from my depression. We're never
0: gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna
1: write a book one day called three hundred pairs of underwear. <laughs> right? And that 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 is the count. That is the count, folks. Um there was a point at which that's the way I handled um th- this the 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 fact that sometimes I just was not – did not want to deal with life was I had too many clothes, right? Um, and and the thing is, when I went through my drawers when I was moving, probably over 100 pairs of underwear still had the tags on them. Like, I had bought them in case. They were my emergency plan, right? It was just it was just, it was just, a yeah, backup plan. I it was get just, it. Just an in, it was an in case. It was an in case. It was an in case I was depressed and didn't feel like um, – so, I mean, I, I, I totally get you about, you know, uh, how the, 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 self, the self-talk self and, and also I'm really big on um, owning my behavior, regardless of what's driving it. Um, these are choices that I made. And also because for me, I find that empowering. I made these choices. This is how I chose to just go, look, I feel like garbage today. And so I do not want to do anything. And so I am not going to do anything. Rather than put myself in a position of where I I am pre- presenting it like I have no choice because of whatever's going on with my my mood or my health or whatever. Now, there are, you know, there are times when there, life is harder well, than yeah, others. Yeah, because,
0: because I don't want to be in a position where my mental illness is managing me. No, I agree. And so I, I take steps um, both... And, you know, the, the self-talk area and the medication and to make sure that my me- that my mental illness is not in charge. And that is a hard road. And I'm not judging you if you're not there yet. I get it. I get it. Like I said, I spent several years wanting to unalive myself. I get it. But getting here, getting to a place where you manage, you manage where I manage my mental illness instead of letting my mental illness manage and destroy my life um, was... A hard road but I did the work I'm still doing the work every day you know I get up I force myself to get up I take my pills sometimes I do have to force myself to get up because people think that like the pill is a miracle you know that oh well well you're on that drug why is it why aren't you just perfect fuck you (laughs) that's not how that works the the best antidepressant is only gonna mitigate (laughs) it doesn't cure you It makes it, it's a tool. It's going to be easier, right? It's going to be easier to get up out of the bed and take a shower. Although, I will I'm going to admit something. During the pandemic, there were a couple days there where I wasn't sure when the last time I'd taken a shower was. And so I'm like, wait, did I take a shower yesterday or was it the day? I need to get the shower
1: because I, (laughs) well, you don't go anywhere. Like the fact that I don't know is a problem. (laughs)
0: Right, so I'm gonna get in the shower, so I will know that I showered an hour ago because you know the days started to blend together during the pandemic because we were just stuck at home, and I stream, so I can't even say okay, well this show comes on Monday night, so it's Monday because <laughs> I stream my shit. I have no idea when shit comes on TV. There, there was like you know, I know the date because my phone tells me the date. That's that's the truth sometimes. <laughs> it was worse during the pandemic because my husband wasn't leaving. So I wouldn't know when it was like a a Saturday or a Monday. Because he was never leaving the house. And we were getting groceries delivered. So it wasn't like we were getting groceries on payday, which was a Friday. We were just getting groceries delivered whenever we felt like it.
1: Yeah, it threw everything out of whack. Everything. It was just...
0: <sighs> yeah, mean,
1: you know. Discombobulated. Owning...
0: you know, Owning managing your mental um, your mental uh, situation and m- figuring out how to to work your neurodivergence is is important to your to you and to your happiness um, and it's all different I mean it's all different there's there's a big there's a ginormous difference between clinical depression and being on the autistic spe- the autism spectrum I'm not discounting that at all um, and there's a big difference between being clinically depressed and having ADHD. Sometimes they go they go hand in hand, though, right?
1: Um, yeah, and it's just like but anxiety, and figuring depression, out not the how same to manage, having,
0: figuring out how to manage your circumstances for yourself and what works for you is is the point. And I try to let my mental illness define me, because I'm Southern and we're eccentric down here, and my attitude defines me. <laughs>
1: Indeed, <laughs> but I like what you said earlier about if somebody is having a hard time um, finishing, is look at you know look at look at their process. Look at you know you got you got to dig into what's going on in your in your creative process to figure out where it's breaking down. Um, and also, what what is it that you're trying to finish and why? I think that that's also very important. You know, and also, because sometimes I mean, the reason is, why you're not is finishing Is the content dragging you down? Yeah, I mean, are you forcing yourself to work on something that is upsetting you? Um, are you forcing yourself to work on something you're uninspired by? Or do you just... Have you just not developed a discipline around this yet? And without... You know, everybody's... Or, I it, 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 it come back to... Everybody's different. And it's, that's, again, sounds trite, but it's just also profoundly true.
0: I mean, you, you could write yourself into a hole and not even realize you've done it without some perspective. Which is why I think it's really important to have more than one work in progress. Because you can set it aside. I'm not saying go crazy like me. I'm just, but, I'm ridiculous. Um, but it, say something aside for a couple of months and then coming back to it can give you a vastly different perspective on the work. Um, And a plotter can do this just as easily as a panzer can. Sometimes even more so, actually, I think in some cases. Because sometimes I get so married to my plot that any sort of divergence will throw me completely off the rails. And I'll be like, oh my god, I'm (laughs) just have to have a complete anxiety spiral, drink a whole gallon of tea, (laughs) make a pot of coffee... Not a good idea when you have anxiety and clinical depression to drink a whole gallon of black tea and turn around and drink a whole pot of coffee. But what I'm saying is is that sometimes it, for me with my OCD and my, and my zero drafting and my plotting that I will refuse to make the changes that really need to be made and write myself into a place that's not fixable. Without making those changes. So that can happen to you. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser. So it's not always about. You know. Your mental circumstances. Sometimes it's about your process. And sometimes it's a mixture of both. Maybe you made the wrong plot decision. Maybe you're, on, maybe you're having some anxiety. Around the content. That you were unaware of. That you can't quite put your finger on. Maybe you made a mistake early on in the narrative. And it's bugging you in the back of your mind. And you need, you need a little distance to see it. you won't really know until you kind of take it apart.
1: Yeah. You have to get in and really be willing to be honest with yourself about you and your process about what it looks like. I know some people never want to look at their process. They don't, they couldn't tell you much about it. They just, they want to, and this is not a pantser thing. It's like everything about their creative process is fly by the seat of their pants, which yeah, that's pantsing. But I mean, it's, it's everything. It's, They have no structure to it. Um, And so when there's a problem, it can be very difficult to decode. And this is one of those things where we talk about you have to be willing to sit down and be honest with yourself about you and your process and your creativity and what you're hoping or trying to get out of it in order to be able to answer these questions and problem solve these things. And it is very important to be able to problem solve these sorts of issues. <clears throat> Honestly, any sort of issue. Because if something is stressing you out,
0: figuring out why it's stressing you out and how to deal with it, it's just a really good life skill. I mean, seriously, it, it took me a while to get there because sometimes when, when you do have a mental illness, um, sometimes you basically get brainwashed into assuming that everything that's going wrong is because you're depressed. Mm-hmm. You get told repeatedly, oh, well, you know... You're depressed, you're not seeing this right, you know, this is just, you know, you need to take a step back, you know. It gaslight you. <laughs> you gaslight yourself. Oh, you're depressed, Kara, that that's why you're so upset about this. Um, you're just being oversensitive. And so learning to discern and have a perspective outside of your circumstances to so you can evaluate what's going on in your work, in your life, in your situations. Um, I, I it's it's super important. It,
1: it was to me. It, it made a big difference. Um, and that's where, you know, things like you got, they're also looking at which of the different t- tricks for this kind of analysis work best for the way your brain is wired. Because one of the things about journaling, um, even people who don't necessarily like to journal, even if it's just keeping track of certain data points, the reason why that works for some people is because getting outside of your head and seeing the information written down allows you to process that information in a different way rather than just have it circling around in your brain. Speaking it aloud can do very much the same thing but with a different part of the cognitive process. Um, So sometimes just verbalizing your issues or your, your problem out loud can help you find your own solutions or help you sort out what's going on with it with why you're stuck there have been times when I thought I was just stuck like I I cannot move on and I poke Kira and I say Kira I gotta talk I I'm stuck I can't move on I don't know what I'm gonna do and the minute I verbalize like I had been had the problem rattling around my head for days the minute I verbalized the problem I saw the answer because the difference was not that I was speaking to another person the difference that I was that I was speaking because yeah. your brain processes the information differently, and maybe you need some tricks like that, especially when your brain is wired to function differently um, than other people's. Is you've got to find out what is going to help your brain function optimally. Do you need to write things down and look at lists? Does that help you? Does tracking things on spreadsheets help you? Does that help you? Does, does verbalizing your problems out loud, no matter how kooky it may make you sound is that going to help you and if it does do it just do it even if you have to pretend like you're talking to somebody on the phone so that you know your roommate doesn't think you're you're you've completely lost the plot just do it do what it's going to may help you get through
0: if if I if I had a dollar for every time my husband has walked in on me in my office basically acting out a scene
1: <laughs> oh yeah speaking
0: my dialogue I would be a rich woman because I mean, the first time it happened, he's like, What the f- are you okay? <laughs> this dude was concerned. <laughs> like, I'm trying try to figure out, I'm trying to figure out. I think out how I was Harry's like one laid. wrong Just... answer away from a psych hold. <laughs> Just give me a minute. I was one wrong stint away from a 24 hour psych hole, you guys. <laughs> this man was like, Are you okay? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm no, fine. honey, you're not fine. You are talking to. You. I am not talking to myself. I'm acting out my dialogue, and he was like, "Wow," uh-huh. and then just closed the door and left because that's just a, that's just a thing, right? Right?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I get up sometimes. on my it.
1: desk. <laughs> we've we've talked we've talked before about how it's you know sometimes verbalizing your dialogue can be really really powerful. And also, you want to I've avoid made myself sentences? cry, verbalizing
0: my dialogue.
1: Yeah, that too. That whole first scene, um, Buck's goodbye to Eddie, and always in my mind, I I did that whole. I re- I read that out loud. I was like, I got to be sure I got this right. And I was like, okay, I'm making myself miserable. Uh, I guess I got it right. <laughs> yeah, if that was your goal, I'm I'm getting
0: a little. My my eyeballs are getting wet just thinking about it. Shut up, Jilly. <laughs> Shut up, Jillian.
1: Well, I mean, the last thing you want, the last thing you want is to have awkward dialogue when you're trying, when you're supposed to have, you know, an emotional goodbye, right? Is to have, you know, it be clunky. So, yeah, I mean, some people really can have a hard time getting to the point where they'll read their story own story out loud. I, I got over that. <laughs> I got past that moment in my life.
0: I can read my own story out loud. But I cannot do it in front of other people. I cannot watch somebody read my work. Yeah, that would be weird. I just think it would
1: be Much, weird. Mm, I don't I don't know how I'd feel about it that. Is.
0: I kind of feel like... There was like... this writing group that tried to get me to join them. And one of the things they would do is that when they would first meet, you would be... You would have to talk about what you're currently writing and read two pages of it out loud. And she told me this. And she said, and it would be really great if you joined us because, you know... Um, because you're professionally published and it would be really good. You'd be a great influence on in the group. And she told me how it worked, and I went, no. And she, what? She's like, what? And she got all, all, all teary eyed and shit. I was like, there is absolutely no way on this God's green earth that I could read my work out loud to other people. I said, that is the idea of it is agonizing. And she was really shocked. That's a whole on note from me. I'm, I,
1: no. I'd be like, you have to get over it, muffin. I ain't doing it.
0: <laughs> I said, not only is it I have... uncomfortable for me to think about doing it myself, I'm not sure I could watch other people do it. You know, secondhand embarrassment being a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but I've I gone to like it. some people doing doing <laughs> their own excerpts of their own work, and it always does it always strikes me as awkward. I'm like, I don't know it. It's never. I don't know. I, it It's definitely a, it's definitely mm. a block in my own head too. So I I wouldn't do it. If if it's something that works for you, I fully support. I fully support your shenanigans. You go, and to all your tomfoolery. It might also help for you to record it
0: and then l- listen to it back. I, mean, I had a friend who used to yeah, if her, you... um, reading her work out loud on tape. That's how long ago it was. She's she's using a cassette tape, but um, to help. TDK. It, she found it very beneficial. So I would not do that either. Maybe I would. I don't know. No. Someone suggests I do my own audiobooks, and I'm like, that's a whole lot. No, baby. No. Yeah. Number one, I know I sound like a 14 year old girl, so I am not going to read my erotica <laughs> out and put it on the internet. No. I'm not here to titillate you. But speaking of that subject. I think we can end the podcast right here um, so Jillie can have her after podcast story time and you guys can learn a new um. phrase so that you'll be prepared for this. Um, anyways, uh, thank you guys for hanging out with us. I hope it was helpful and that you got something out of it. And please remember that these were our personal experiences and our personal opinions and they're not a reflection on your Circumstances, or your condition, or the methods by which you function in in your in your life, um, and it's all it's all individual. There are no two human beings on this planet who are exactly the same. And whether you are typical or atypical when it comes to your neuro processing, um, we are all very unique. And it's important to recognize and protect your your uniqueness. So say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone.